0: Thank you. horror movie podcast where we are dead serious about horror movies this is episode 197 of horror movie podcast and it's brought to you by our movie podcast network patrons and by Shudder, the netflix for horror you can try Shudder free for 30 days just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code hmp when signing up that's s-h-u-d-d-e-r.com and the promo code h-m-p on Horror Movie Podcast you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent or avoid these movies. I'm Gilman Joel Robertson
1: and I'm joined by your horror hosts
2: Dave hey, Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia and Wolfman Josh If you call me Becky one more time, I'm going to pop your tops.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I was not expecting that one. For this episode, we are going under the sea, but this little mermaid has fangs. This is the HMP Cryptozoological Horror Part 2, Leviathans of the Deep. We are bringing you a feature review of Underwater... And we will be joined by the Mad-Satologist for that one. And later, we will have a Screaming Online segment. And be sure to stay tuned to the bitter end when we'll be naming the winners of the Jaws 45th Anniversary 4K Blu-ray giveaway. And we'll be telling you how you could win a digital download for Underwater. But before we get to all that, We are going to kick it over to Wolfman as he interviews Brandon Smith, director of The Legend of the Bear Lake Monster.
2: All right, at this point in the show, we are joined by filmmaker Brandon Smith. Brandon, how are you doing?
3: Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Josh. Absolutely.
2: Uh, Brandon and I go way back. Uh, We worked on crews of a bunch of little dumb indie films together that were in our area. Brandon's also the director of a documentary that I absolutely love called "The Upbeat." Hey, thanks. And, uh, yeah. Oh, I think you did such an incredible job with that. It was it was specifically about ska, but it kind of directed toward the ska scene in our local area. So it kind of spoke to like all the bands I was into in high school, and like it was just a fun way to approach it while also having like a contemporary storyline you were following. I just thought you did a fantastic job with
3: it. So. Awesome, thank you. It was yeah one of the funnest films to put together.
2: I'm sure. Um, Brandon, now you are doing The Legend of the Bear Lake Monster, which is why we're talking to you on this specific episode, because we are talking all things sea monster. Maybe you could introduce a little bit about what the actual legend of the Bear Lake Monster is before we get to your film specifically.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So the Bear Lake Monster is a sea creature legend that dates back to at least the mid-1800s, if not. Prior to that, when the settlers got into the area, they had to negotiate a land agreement with the Native Americans of the Shoshone tribe, and the Shoshone said, "Hey, by the way, you got to be careful of this sea creature that we call a water devil. It's been coming out of the water and taking our animals and pulling them back into the lake, and we don't let our kids play near the lake, and, and that kind of a thing." You know, and it could even go back further than that, but there's really no record of it that's been found. And so, and that also predates the the Loch Ness Monster sightings, which I also find Which pretty,
2: makes it so cool.
3: Yeah. It, so it's not like this kind of copycat thing that uh, someone just said, hey, I want that for my town. You know, Josh, you and I both kind of come from a documentary background. And so that a lot of that historical right. stuff is really fascinating to me.
2: Yeah. I'm actually, when I think about it from the historical perspective, I'm really surprised that no one has yet like interviewed people from the Shoshone nation and like tried to figure out if those tales are real, if like they really did exist within their, you know, mythology or a record of some kind. Yeah.
3: And now my documentary brain is going off. Like, (laughs) like that's something
2: that (laughs) yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that would be fascinating to, to dig even deeper into that and, I'm sure from there it could go in any number of directions. But
2: yeah, like it hasn't
3: really been looked into as far as I'm aware.
2: So Bear Lake, we should say, is this really old lake. It's one of the oldest lakes in the United States for sure. Um, It's a remnant of Lake Bonneville. And people call it the Caribbean of the Rocky Mountains because there's a certain amount of... I think it's a lime deposit in the water, but it gives it this beautiful kind of like turquoise green appearance. Absolutely. And it's just gorgeous to look at and so it's kind of like a vacation spot in northern utah it's a place where people go it's actually right on the border of utah and idaho it's half in idaho and half in utah and um i grew up hearing stories about it because i lived for many years both in idaho and utah and i remember the first time i heard about it i was maybe 12 years old and we were going there on a trip and my scout leader told us a story about seeing the bear lake monster and the way he described it was being in his boat and seeing a shadow underneath his boat bigger on all sides. Like it was bigger than their boat and every, wow. direction. and that it passed underneath them. And that's the way he described it. Um, we, I also, I have to be careful about talking about this because this is making light of a real person's death. So I just want to be clear about that. But um, my wife's, let's see, my wife's step grandmother, okay. her first husband Um, He passed away at Bear Lake, and it was a situation where they were all going up in the boat to to land. They'd all been um, out on the boat together, and they were pulling up to shore, and he was standing there one minute, and everyone got out of the boat, and they turned around, and he was just gone, and they just never found his body. Wow. Really? He was gone forever. (laughs) Yeah. and Holy cow. I always thought that was kind of crazy, but then as I started learning more about like the legend of the bear lake monster that actually is kind of um like jives with what a lot of the legends were people talk about it like it would move kind of like a crocodile might. how it would come up and like you were saying with with animals and i've even heard uh the thing i heard about the shoshone was that they wouldn't sleep near
1: the
2: camp near the lake because for fear that it would pull them into the water and so when i first heard that i thought oh my gosh that's kind of like rachel's step-grandpa or whatever you know yeah wow that's crazy um wow so those were the kind of two stories that kind of were in my head knocking around that i always think about and i you know i grew up as a monster kid just loving werewolves and vampires and the classic universal monsters but then also you just you get into that world and you start thinking about big sea monsters and all of just kind of these fun things and loch ness monster was definitely one that i thought was fun to think about as like a person of science, like I I have to be willing to like let go of those (laughs) ideas. But I kind of like, you know, like when our cytologist was on, I'm like, just give me any reason to believe that. Like just give me a little (laughs) bit of shred of some real Uh science that I can say, well, it could be, you know, it could be. yeah. And I feel like Bear Lake has that too. Because like I said, it's one of the oldest lakes in, in America. It's got all of these endemic species, which are only found there. Aren't there like six different, species or something like that yeah
3: it's a handful of unique species of fish it's it's pretty wild
2: so it just makes you feel like well it's possible
3: yeah and i i love that zone that you know is it possible and i think that's what makes just life exciting you know things that right i agree make you think and you know make you wonder and that's what you how you feel when you're up at bear lake like you say with, with the beautiful water and it's just amazing up there and it makes you wonder for sure.
2: So tell us then about your movie. What is kind of the pitch for, because we should say you are doing a Kickstarter campaign and yeah. I will say, I was really impressed with you because you launched the campaign at just kind of an inopportune time. It was kind of like the height of COVID, although in the United States, the height remains at the same height, but yeah, <laughs> or, you know, at the time it was kind of when things first hit the peak and the whole thing with Black Lives Matter also happened with George Floyd's death and everything happened also right when you launched the campaign. So I was really impressed with you because you rightly didn't feel like you could advertise a lot during that time, but it was its just a hard time to go out and be like asking people for money when the whole world's, you know, in turmoil. And, and oh, yeah. so I, I feel like on one hand, it's like, oh, shoot, your campaign's hurt by that. But on the other hand, you still have raised quite a bit of money. You've got a long way to go. But I really think that if people like our audience get excited about it it's possible to make it still like i really think it's possible and i'm excited about that as a possibility you know thanks
3: yeah you know it's never been about if just about when because i know that the the fans are there right and the people just love it and so it's just a matter of when
2: yeah well i hope that the crowdfunding piece of this can work out so that you can do it sooner than later. Um, even if you were to go on and get more funding and everything else, because I just think uh, it's a spectacular project. I also think the package you put together for Kickstarter just looks great. You've oh, got thank a you. Mini teaser. You've got concept art and just really cool stuff. Your scripts finished. You've got all of this stuff that a lot of projects don't have at this stage. So I think that's really impressive, but tell us about the story.
3: So the way that I describe a lot of times when, filmmakers describe their film, they'll say it's this movie plus this movie. It's just a good way for the audience to really wrap their minds around their project. Yeah. And so it's like Jaws plus the Goonies,
2: two of my favorite films of all time,
3: (laughs) you know, and I'm a little hesitant to to say that because, you know, these are Spielberg films. And so I'm not in any way, you know, saying like I'm Spielberg, but he's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Two amazing films that, I grew up with, and I'm sure you grew up with, and a lot of people that just um, really were enchanting as a youth. On the one hand, with Jaws, you have this water creature that's tormenting them, that's unpredictable, and you know they have to fight this. And then on the Goonies side, it's the teenage action-adventure that really, those kind of stories I'm really drawn to. You lose that innocence as an adult and you become right
2: well the magic like we were talking about
3: yeah like i think of you uh, you know at scout camp and you're you're 12 and i mean what what an amazing age to get uh your first taste of the bear lake monster and so like i feel like there's that zone of of belief that with more believability and and that kind of thing and so that's how i've kind of structured the film
2: could you give us like a short synopsis like what might be like on the imdb page if we were to go there just the very basics of what we might expect from the film
3: so the uh, synopsis a group of teens set out to prove the legend of a sea creature that has plagued the waters of bear lake for over 150 years so that's kind of like the one-liner
2: yeah that's what we love yeah and i also like you did like a concept poster um that's one of the rewards you can get by Donated. in the Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and
3: that was a, that was really yeah. fun to work with, with a buddy of mine. I knew he could pull off this style. And uh, yeah, so that was actually kind of other than the script, the very first, really the very first thing that came about to actually give the project a little bit of life was the concept.
2: Poster. One thing I really like about it is the tagline, you know, and it says some tall tales have frightening scales and it has kind of like a storybook, quality to it, to kind of go back to that childhood magic element, which I like that too. Are there any monster movies that you really enjoy or that you think about when you're uh, thinking about making a movie like this?
3: Growing up, Tremors was one of my favorite movies. Yeah. So I really take a lot of inspiration with a film like that, where through the first act, you barely even see the monster at all. And so the filmmakers are really building some just incredible suspense and I think of, yeah, you know, the scene where the, the construction workers, you know, has the jackhammer and he's working on the road and it just takes off the jackhammer all on yes. its own. And it's just, I just remember that anticipation and that fright being built as a kid. And that really kind of had a big impact on me when I'm writing, trying to create suspense and create that feeling of dread before you actually even see the creature itself
2: yeah yeah you know i love what you're saying about tremors too with the jackhammer because that's such a great example of what you can do without really seeing the monster but showing that the monster's there Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff like that in tremors where you know the the dirt's flying up in in the air as the monster moves around and i just it feel like that's so effective and i love that obviously jaws does that as well with the musical theme and the Mm -hmm. You know, as a creep, the shark creeps up on people. I feel like that's so effective, and you can really do a lot with a little in a situation like that. Because the the budget you're going for, even if you were to get your entire budget, it's not a huge amount for a movie but both of us have worked in indie film for so long. Like we've worked on movies with this budget that were very ambitious. Like we worked on a pirate movie Uh that had this exact same budget. That was very ambitious, you know, shooting on the water and like all this stuff for a, a very small amount of money. And you know, Weinstein company ended up buying that film. So it's like, I think we both like, come from a background where we can see like how much you can actually do for
3: oh absolutely and that's where that's where we come alive like we that's where we just enjoy you know doing whatever it takes to pull off you know any sort of practical effects or doing whatever it takes to make the film possible and that's kind of the spirit of the indie filmmaker Um, and yeah it's definitely something uh, you or I are um, not shy of at all it's a it's a challenge and it's right one that's uh keeps us going
2: well you ran a film festival for many years too so you've really seen a lot of kind of low budget films and a lot of techniques for how people pull off what they pull off
3: yeah definitely and and a lot of honestly stuff not to do (laughs) or to you know um (laughs) some stuff like i don't know i don't know if that works but so there's, there's good, you know, you can learn from any film that you watch for sure.
2: I should say when we first uh, talked about having you on the show, we had already planned to do this episode. We were going to record this sea monster episode. And then I heard about your Kickstarter campaign um, because you emailed me about it. And I just thought, what a great fit. We'll put uh, an interview with Brandon on, on this episode. But I, I just got so into the concept of, of your film. And um, I'm already so in love with the bear Lake monster. I basically like begged you, like, can I carry your slurpee? <laughs> yeah. I'll bring you slurpees. I'll, I'll haul cable. I was like, I just want to be involved with this in some way. And you very kindly invited me to, to take part in it. So that is kind of the announcement, I guess that I wasn't anticipating when we first scheduled this interview, but I'm, um, this is going to be something that I work on with you as well. and, I do feel like yeah. I've got, um, I hope hopefully the listeners will agree some, some monster movie insights that I can, I can help bring to the table for a film like this.
3: Yeah. Honestly, I was stoked to, uh, to have you approach the project and I'm, I'm stoked to have you and yeah, and all of your knowledge and, and your film aesthetic as well. And you're a hustler, you know, if, if I don't know how many of your fans have followed your career or, you know, what you've been doing, but look up Josh's story.
2: Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> I think this is a film that if, if you can get it made, it will live on for a long time because there really aren't a lot of like sea serpent monster kind of movies, like the kind of sea monster I think of when I think of pirate ships, you know, meeting sea monsters on the ocean, there just aren't movies with that type of creature. So on, for the first thing is you're making a very unique kind of monster movie. And then secondly, you're making a movie that is based in a place where, like thousands of people are coming every year on vacation and just is like a place that, as you said, families kind of hold dear. It's kind of part of a family tradition. So you kind of have these two built-in audiences with horror movie fans or monster movie fans and, you know, people who love Bear Lake. And it just seems like such a no brainer for something that can really have a long life, you know,
3: honestly, that's my hope. And and you're right. There's, you can find a lot of films about with dragons, but not a lot of sea creature films. And, uh, right. It really is my hope to have it be like, they say that, uh, like a love letter to bear Lake. Yeah. And that's my hope is that to really, that I can encapsulate that feeling you know that you had when you were twelve, or or that feeling that people have when they visit the lake. And I mean, I just want to add my voice to the legend. I mean, it's an it's this legend over 150 years old, and I want to put put in my little piece and hope that it keeps you know going for gen- more and more generations. And hopefully, my film's still a yeah. part of those. You know, as one piece of the of the pie. And it's funny you say that because I I told my wife I said you know if if I don't get to make any other films, but if I could make this one, I would be stoked and we could set up a little screening room up at bear Lake every year. And we could just run a little theater up there and uh, show the film every year. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: And I would be stoked. We could retire and it'd be fun.
2: Yeah. You're going to do jaws numbers.
3: Yeah. Oh, (laughs) I love your, your enthusiasm. (laughs) (laughs) that would be great
2: i love and our listeners know this like i love regional horror stories that are about a legend or a creature or something that's only in a certain area like i always i love korean horror because it's so different from anything you'll ever find in any other country like it just got a totally different tone it's got a totally different uh, vibe you're telling these legends that we've never heard before and so it's so fun to engage with a a legend like this which is really rich like it's not like there's a lot to it when you start researching the different bear lake monster stories there's really a lot of mythology there to play with plus you're bringing your whole own thing to it on top of that which is exciting but i just i think it's so cool to have a film and like you said add your voice to this tradition that's been there for so long yeah. So, I mean, again, like when we talked about you doing the show, I, I was looking forward to having you come on and pitch the film and, and, and try to get our listenership excited about it. Now I'm even more invested cause I want to help make the movie. Um, where can people find your Kickstarter campaign other than obviously they can go to the show notes at horror dot and we'll have links to it. Um, where would you tell people to do in terms of checking out or interacting with what you're doing online?
3: You know, the easiest way, if you, if you go to Kickstarter and there's, they have a ton of projects on Kickstarter. So you just go to the search field and just type in bear lake monster and it'll pull it right up. Um, that's the quickest and fastest way I've been telling people to, to find it. And then the, the official film website is bear lake monster movie.com. So you can go there. Okay. And then, you know, Facebook and Instagram, um, as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I just connected on your Instagram page as well when you um announced my involvement there, so that was exciting. You also we should say have some cool uh rewards. Uh you can get the film. You've got you've got some really cool die-cut stickers that you came up with. There's the a yeah. concept art poster. I'd encourage everybody to check out your video on Kickstarter. I think you do a good job of kind of like showing what what the story is there also is a, like the bottom of the Kickstarter. There's like a little fun little teaser. There's not a lot to it, but that's what teasers are.
3: Little, and yeah. it's
2: really fun. I think I, I like what you did with it. And there's also, you can see just some of the cool concept art and stuff that, you, that you've done for creating the monster. How did you decide on the look? Cause there are different descriptions of what the monster l- looks like. How did you kind of come up with what you wanted, you the know, monster to look like,
3: you know, it's really just been kind of a, just taking bits and pieces of of all the different stories that are told because there are a few different variations of people's sightings, of the size and things. But I really like the head and the the mouth being really similar to an alligator where it's, it's broad at the top and then it kind of narrows down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, you know, really kind of having kind of that dragon feel to it I've just been taking the best of the best of what you see. Cause you see, yeah, you see it all over the place when you're up there and uh, just trying to make it as terrifying as possible.
2: Yeah. Some of your concept art is really scary. Some of it's just is really fanciful and it, but it all goes together. Like it's, it's, it still manages to be cohesive and just it's a beautiful package you put together. So that's cool, man. Well, anything else that we should say? Um, I thank you for having me on
3: the show and, um, I appreciate your interest and and hope that it's you know something that other people can enjoy as well.
2: Well, I mean, I'm sure it comes off as very self serving now that I'm like trying to be involved with the project. But honestly, it was self serving even when I was just a fan of the project because I just love the story so much, and I would just I'm so excited to see it on screen. It's a completely selfish desire that I want people to back your project. I just <laughs> want I want to see the movie.
0: So. We are here doing a Cryptozoological Horror Part 2. I was not privy to Part 1. I remember listening to it, but it's been a minute. It's been a little while. Yeah. I think it was like
2: episode 34 or something, something like, like that. that. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's been, it's been a while.
2: <laughs> right. Uh, that was Bigfoot, and we finally got around to doing another mythological creature, uh, cryptozoological creature, I guess. And I mean, the main idea here is that we wanted to find a fun summer show to replace our shark attack this year, because there weren't a lot of great new shark movies that have come out since last year so i think that's kind of the origin of this episode and the release of underwater and sea fever frankly not too many great ones came out this year weren't too many great ones last year <laughs> yeah. yeah but still i think it's fun to do a very you know summertime sure. water thing and so this this felt right to me and i and i won't
0: go into it this is not considered a technical mini review but i do want to say for the first time finally in the spirit of the mad zoologist joining us later I uh watched the Meg. it's when I, I when it came out for whatever reason, never got around to it. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised mainly because I had zero expectation. So I liked it quite a bit for me. I'm gonna say it's an eight out of ten because and that's what my kids thought. it was just a goofy fun like I could see us watching this like during the summer uh, every once in a while. yeah, it's just a goofy fun monster movie.
2: I think I'd like it more if I watched it now. I did have high high hopes at the
0: time yeah. so see that's the key. Josh, keep your high hopes low. That's what I do. And then I'm never disappointed, which is not true because I often am disappointed. (laughs) But still, uh, that's a theory. So I guess that we'll jump right into this. If uh, you fellas are ready to uh, do a little cryptozoological, which is just fun to say, horror uh, with Leviathans of the deep. Absolutely. All right. So I guess we could kick it off. Let's let's do a little conversation about sea monsters in mythology and literature because we're
2: highfalutin like that. (laughs) well I just love I love sea monsters and I think for me this was one of those topics as we started digging into research for this episode I realized man there are far less sea monster movies than I kind of thought in my mind you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I don't know if this happens to you guys but it's happened to me a couple times since we started doing the podcast Thanksgiving movies would be another one where I'm like oh I can't wait to talk about like Native American related horror movies and like oh there aren't a lot of them that exist at all you know And I thought, oh, this is interesting because in my mind, sea monsters are such a big part of our world, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I think a lot of that comes from Pirate Tales and Release the Kraken and Cthulhu if you're a cosmic horror fan, but really there aren't a lot of sea monster movies you know and they're at least not in the traditional sea serpent sea dragon kind of sea monster that i think of that's kind of what i think of when i think of sea monster i'm thinking about well there's the two right there's like the kraken Mm -hmm. giant squid octopus kind of tentacled thing that you might see in a pirates of the caribbean movie and then Mm -hmm. there's the other more like loch ness monster looking sea dragon and there just aren't a ton of those other than like really bad sci-fi channel type of movies well and, right? in, and
0: in that vein I will I know it's not on our list because it's not a horror movie though as a kid because I was really little I remember watching it on an HBO and it creeped me out but it does have the Kraken in it as I recall which is the uh as an 81 version of Clash of the Titans with Ray Harryhausens yes stop motion yes. absolutely <laughs>
1: That is what I think of. That's what I think yes. of.
0: You know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's something that is the aesthetic of that movie, and it's just of its time, always gave me the mm-hmm. creeps. Anyway, <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, I mean, Medusa, the whole the whole uh, bit, but Kraken, yes, yep. jo- Dave, I totally agree with you. That's what I always visualize whenever anybody says that.
1: Exactly. Release the Kraken. I I, yeah. I was lucky enough to see that on the big screen oh, in 1981, awesome. and so it was Harryhausen's last. Theatrical movie, Mm -hmm. and I got to see it on the big screen. It was an amazing experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a a great movie. It is. I I just that is always what I think of. Like I know there've been Krakens and other things, but that's that's my go-to.
2: Yeah, I think that's a reasonable one to bring up. I mean, I think of kind of a Captain Nemo thing as well when I think of these types of movies, and they're not necessarily horror, but as we've discussed on our universal monsters show anything with kind of big monsters is horror adjacent enough for me to be excited about i mean another one you know that we'll talk about later like the godzilla films like those are kind of in this sea monster category yes. also itch right yes what do you guys think of i guess so it's the kraken is kind of the thing you think of most when you think of a sea monster and cthulhu the lovecraftian yeah, yeah. horrors
1: And giant squid. I mean, there's been a few of those, Um, you know, and another Harryhausen movie. And I know it's going to come up, I think, you know, tonight is that, you know, it came from beneath the sea. That famous scene where the uh, where the giant squid, I guess it was supposed to be an octopus, but it didn't have eight tentacles uh, attacking the uh, Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Uh, There was even a, as I recall, a, a 40s movie that Cecil B. DeMille directed that featured Ray Miland and John Wayne fighting a giant squid underwater called Reap the Wild Wind. Wow. Hmm. Uh, so I think of that as well. Um, you know, the, the giant squid, giant octopus, whatever.
2: Yeah. I like that. I mean, that's interesting. You know, the one of the movies that we'll talk about briefly that came out this year, Sea Fever, has just a glimpse at like a Cthulhu-like, tentacled, squid-like creature. And yeah, there's something very ominous about that. Dagon, also from Lovecraft. Yes. Yes. I guess Cthulhu's not technically, I was just reading up on this. Um, Cthulhu is an old great one and is usually depicted as a monster with kind of a combination of octopus and dragon features, but apparently it was August Derleth yes. who was a publisher of Lovecraft and later wrote Cthulhu stories. That is the one who actually made him into a water elemental. I guess Lovecraft never technically did, but it makes people think of Cthulhu like Dagon as a sea monster. But
1: Dagon is, I just saw Dagon recently. Actually, yeah. when, um, you know, after the uh, uh, passing of Stuart Gordon and was really impressed at how wild that movie is. It just so gets good. crazier. Every every five minutes, there's something totally insane happening. and just yes. builds and builds and builds. And I loved it. I, lo- I love
2: that you love that, Dave. It's underrated. It's so underrated. Yes, it really is.
0: Well, and I was going to say, too, that as far and I'm definitely not a love craft expert by any stretch, but... I do seem to recall like Shadow of uh, Innsmouth, which deals with seaborne monstrosities. I think that that idea of the ocean and the horrors that potentially lay within it, sometimes with Lovecraft stuff, was uh, could be as much at play as was with the uh, outer universe.
2: Yes, absolutely. The old great ones, you know, are cosmic space aliens who d- maybe don't even have physical forms, but some of them like Cthulhu and Dagon, did. I don't you know I don't even know if you would call Dagon in the same family as uh, as a Cthulhu, but the the film Dagon is really a combination of Shadow of Rinsmith mm-hmm. and and Dagon. You know, it's like the monster of Dagon with these fish people yes. from Shadow of Rinsmith. So yeah, it's it's a really yeah. fun movie. I recommend people check out it. it's not good. <laughs> like it's not like <laughs> traditionally good, but it's so much fun.
1: It really is. It's just insane. I mean, you're, you're watching this movie, you're like, how can it get any crazier? And then five minutes later, it tops itself. And five minutes after that, it tops itself again. I just love that about it, that it just kept going off in all of these wild directions. And yeah. uh, you weren't confused at any point. You weren't bored at
2: any point. It really
1: is just a fun, amazingly fun movie, I think.
2: Yeah. And it escalates and escalates. It kind of reminds me of a favorite film that I just revisited recently for the first time in a long time. Uh, Demons, not in you know style in any way, but just how that movie just goes insane at the end and like yes. the last twenty minutes is just like crazier and crazier, and crazier, and yes. crazier. And that's right. kind of how Dagon felt too. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know
0: if there's anything else on the on the literature front you guys want to cover.
2: Yeah, I think on the movie front. It's interesting that as I was kind of like compiling a list of films, you know, under this topic, there were two years that really stood out in a big way. And those were 1954 and 1989. And both of those years, we just saw this huge glut of films in this world. And I I wonder what led to that. If in 54, it maybe doesn't seem as obvious or like there's necessarily something specific that would have led to it, but in 89, there had to have been something that led to it because those films are all so similar and they're all hitting at the exact same time. I don't know. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to think about as we get into some of those movies. But that, that is interesting actually.
0: And and I will say just as a complete side note that if you feel it's necessary to edit out, Josh, I totally understand. But for the whopping uh, three listeners that also listen to Retro Movie Geek, yes, I am having to literally hold myself down every time he says 1989 <laughs> right yes. because i have a tendency <laughs> to, to say something and this is not that show i'm trying to be good so i'm muting myself continue John. so
2: also <laughs> um, well, okay so the gillman movies yes. you know i've heard of picture from I've the i've heard of those, black yes. lagoon in 1954 that's a major it's not in the sea like a leviathan from the deep necessarily but it's definitely a notable aquatic horror film with a with a monster absolutely Mm -hmm. yes
0: yeah and and then of course probably the uh the big daddy of them all gojira
2: from 1954 yep yeah those good godzilla films many of them deal with godzilla coming out of the water and like his relationship to the water and i think that's really fun the way that that's played with even in the 1998 film that's probably my favorite part of the entire 1998 film is godzilla emerging from the water when he's when that Mm -hmm. dock is bursting That was a cool shot. I also really like in the new films how they tie Godzilla to the Bikini Islands and and things like that. that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. All of the Jaws films also, they deal with kind of an oversized shark. We're not dealing with like a regular gray-white. We're dealing with these gigantic sharks. um, Orca, Barracuda, all the killer crocodile movies, of which there are hundreds as I started looking into them. Kaiju movies in general, including Gorgo and Pacific Rim and uh all the sci-fi channel films there are so many of those like mega shark versus giant octopus and mega shark versus crocosaurus before including those types of films in our aquatic horror discussion the genre contains multitudes yes it really does and and, 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 and correct me if i'm wrong
0: and we may have talked about this before but i feel like there's two phases to the sci-fi movie nature run amok types of movies and my favorites were actually more from i think they were more like late 90s maybe early 2000s there was quite a few that i remember playing on the sci-fi channel that weren't Mm -hmm. as intentionally campy as a lot of the mega sharks and the
1: crocosaurus,
0: mega piranha. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like that. They were more. I mean, they were still goofy and campy, but they were. It was. It was almost like a byproduct of them being very low budget, and, yeah. and and what they were. And I remember enjoying those quite a bit.
2: Yeah, I have to think it's the Sharknado era, the Sharktopus era, where that kind of took a turn, and they're like, oh, this is actually way more successful yes. if we play into yeah. our. Silly stories and low budgets, you know. Yeah, yeah. Damn you, puss <laughs> <laughs> and, and
0: and then and then you you have down here a uh,
2: Cthulhu in Aquaman. I mean, Aquaman obviously is this you know sea god, but there are two really interesting uses of kind of horror ideas in Aquaman. First, there's the trench people, which the way that that plays out is seriously like one of the scariest moments of aquatic horror i've ever seen of course it's directed by james wan so he shouldn't be too surprised that he pulled that off but i feel like the way they handle the trench in aquaman is really good and really terrifying and it doesn't surprise me they got their own spinoff film uh which mm-hmm. i look forward to checking out yes. but then also yeah. not to spoil aquaman for anyone who wants to see it but the ending i'm pretty sure is just they put cthulhu in the movie i think like I, I, that's basically what is. it is it's at least the kraken they put a kraken or cthulhu as the final thing in Aquaman. And it's really interesting. And it's actually the thing that makes the movie good. Cause the movie is kind of silly and cartoonish all throughout and you know, whatever it's Aquaman, but the way they handle the ending is so good with that giant monster. I'm like, wow, this is actually like heartfelt and emotional and interesting. And, uh, and as a horror fan, I love seeing Cthulhu in that. I will mm. tell you, according to
0: me, just doing a quick Google search, they have it as the, it says Kraken, it's like K-A-R-A-Q-A-N, so I'm assuming it's supposed to be Kraken, mm-hmm. um, and uh, described as another ancient sea creature.
2: Yeah, there are also little Easter egg nods to H.P. Lovecraft throughout the film, too. There's like a Shadow of Innsmouth nod, so I, I think they were definitely aware of the waters they were playing in, Yeah. so to speak. Ah, see what you did
0: there! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so then I guess we could... Go through a list of uh, some of these movies, and we'll start in the year 1954. Uh, if that works for you uh, guys, we can go ahead and just... Yep, sure. I'll mention them, and if you have commentary as we go through, I mean, a few of them we've already, uh, we've high-level mentioned. So uh, in 1954, yep. we had Creature from the Black Lagoon, of course. Um, I've, heard, I've heard of that I, one. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it sounds vaguely <laughs> familiar. Uh,
2: Gojira, of course, a.k.a. Godzilla. Yep. Yeah, if people want to hear more in-depth discussion, we actually did cover the entire Godzilla franchise in one episode about a year ago. So people can go find that one. Yes. Yep. And uh, one that I honestly
0: have not, it doesn't ring a bell, even though I am vaguely familiar with, not I should say everything that Roger Corman produced slash directed from back in the day, but a lot of them. And Monster from the Ocean Floor does not ring a bell for me. So uh, he he produced Mm -hmm. it but I don't know if that one rings a bell for either of you.
2: Yeah, I don't think I've seen that one. Actually. Um, no. I'd seen the poster enough that I, I knew it was significant. I didn't even know Corman was the producer of it, but yeah, yeah I have not seen that. One. I wonder if it maybe be, I,
0: I'd have to look, I'd dig deeper and obviously we don't have time now, but to us, if maybe it had like a different title,
2: it says, uh, Julie an American on vacation in Mexico spots a giant one-eyed amoeba rising from the ocean when she tries to tell the authorities no one believes her she finally teams up with a marine biologist in an attempt to destroy it well of course that's what you're gonna do
0: when you see a one-eyed amoeba (laughs) and I know it's not really a horror movie I would think by most people's standards it would definitely fall into the sci-fi category but we have uh 20,000 leagues under the sea presumably because of the uh the giant squid factor if I remember correctly
2: yeah yeah and i was just mentioning that kind of in the way that you were mentioning clash of the titans I, it's, right. to me it's just uh it's one of those things that it's kind of ingrained in us as like a scary giant sea creature kind of thing i think that's just part of culture i guess yes yep. so we then have it came from
1: beneath the sea yeah that's the uh harry housing right harry housing the effects
0: Yes, that's 1955, so we're moving past 54, but I I would say just the fact that uh, Godzilla and Creature from the Lock Lagoon are both at 54 is, you know, a pretty major milestone.
2: Yeah, yep. plus 20,000 leagues under the sea if we're going to sure. include that in the sure. discussion. Now, um it came from beneath the sea, doesn't really have it's probably more in the Godzilla camp where you've got this giant monster destroying a city from the water. It's not out at sea, but the imagery that they created in this film of this monster tearing down Bridges and towers and buildings is so cool, especially with Harryhausen on the effects. I would think people who like that kind of big monster stuff should definitely check it out.
0: Yep. The next movie on the list is The
2: She Creature from 1956. The She-Creature, which I think is a kind of a play on words be, with sea creature. It was based on the success of a, a novel that had to deal with hypnosis. According to IMDb, the synopsis is a mysterious hypnotist reverts his beautiful assistant back into the form of a prehistoric sea monster that she was in a past life, which I think is fantastic. Uh, the first user review on IMDb says, definitely a waste of talent and film. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, everybody has their taste um the monster
1: that challenged the world oh yeah that that is a giant mollusk (laughs) they're terrifying in that movie yes i know but it was you know what's really cool it was the screenplay was written by uh the the uh well the guy who did the story his name is david duncan he wrote the screenplays for two of my favorite uh 1960s sci-fi movies the time machine and fantastic voyage nice Yeah, but it's very low budget. When the creature is shown, it's not, uh, you know, you can see the budget uh, or the lack of budget. But uh, it still was an entertaining movie. I enjoyed it. All right. So uh, next up on the list, we have Behemoth, the sea monster
4: from
0: 1959, also known as the giant behemoth. That you know? one, you know, from what I've seen,
2: it does not look like Ray Harryhausen was involved. With
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing, I'm guessing he wasn't. I know all of Harryhausen's, and that does not sound familiar. So,
2: so this is coming after Godzilla or Gojira, and so you are starting to see a lot of these bigger monster movies uh, terrorizing coastal towns this one happens in london actually um and according to imdb it says a marine atomic test causes changes in the ocean's ecosystem resulting in a dangerous blob of radiation and the resurrection of a dormant dinosaur that threatens london so dormant dinosaur although yes. the, again this looks terrible i've seen I like it. that as a concept
0: yeah i've seen this one because I, now that i'm looking at the pictures i watch this with my uh, my son because it, it was go- it was godzilla like enough that uh, yeah. he, he we we went through we went through a little run there where we were trying to find any movies that had Godzilla like creatures in them and I remember watching this one and ah uh, it's ah uh, it's it's interesting it's <laughs> it's different I mean there's a charm to these movies and stop motion animation so that that gets you through some of the uh, let's just say drier patches of forced melodrama and <laughs> pseudo science speak
2: yeah. As someone, again, who kind of my favorite version of the Leviathan is this uh, sea dragon. I'm really attracted to the idea of a a dormant dinosaur kind of coming back and that being the sea monster of mythology. Yeah.
0: Uh, Next up, we have Creature from the Haunted Sea, which is uh, from 1961 and I do believe was directed by one Mr. Roger Corman.
2: Yeah, and that's just yep. terrible, but it's a classic.
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible classic. Uh, the next one, I'd I, I say it's vaguely familiar. Uh, if there's anybody out there that knows about it, definitely uh, leave a comment in the show notes. It's called Jaws. From 1975? I've never heard of that one. Weird. Yeah. Okay, it's let's keep moving you on. on. You know
2: what? I've got some DVDs. Uh, we'll give them away. And oh, see if... okay. Okay. Yeah. There you yeah, go. That, tie, that, well, way to tie that in. Yes.
0: Uh, by the way, I'm joking. We all know Jaws. Just before you leave angry comments yes. at it <laughs> and say, how can you guys even call yourself horror podcasters? I know. We, we know Jaws. We're good right tentacles which i could have misread very easily but i didn't it's tentacles right. <laughs> <laughs> be very careful when you google it that you spell it correctly <laughs> that's all i'm saying yeah and, right and, and you don't have images on that's just just a word to the wise
2: <laughs> but yeah this is a uh, john houston shelley winters film uh from 1977 it's it's listed actually as action adventure comedy but uh <laughs> the scenes where uh the sea monster or in this case a mutated giant octopus is wreaking havoc on uh, the seaside california community is pretty cool we also uh,
0: have from 1977 the crater lake monster the
1: crater lake monster i i reviewed this on the blog it was probably one of the first no it was number 241 i'm looking at it right now number 241 of my 2500 I'll just give you a quick idea. The first paragraph I wrote, there are so many adjectives that leap to mind as I sit down and write about the Crater Lake Monster. Words like amateurish, ridiculous, pathetic, and sad, just to name a few. I've seen my share of bad movies over the years, but this one is jaw-droppingly bad. A truly awful horror comedy that's only funny when it's trying to scare you and only horrific when it's trying to be funny. And I loved every damn minute of it.
2: <laughs> that's a
1: great review. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's it's one of those, it, it really is just just terrible, but it's so much fun it's so bad it's so bad it's it's
2: hilarious yeah and in that vein have you seen up from the depths from 1979 no i have not but i was just looking at the picture and i have to
1: <laughs> i reviewed up from the depths on episode 148 actually oh um, did you really yes i did I, I had given it a four and a void but <laughs> um i did uh, review it back on that episode yeah Oh, cool. Well, well,
2: people can check that out. I'll link to it in the show notes. All I know
0: is that Monster Fish looks amazing.
2: It looks amazing on the poster. It doesn't look as yes. good as when I'm looking at the Google images. No, no, <laughs> this is, no. I'm referring this this to both.
1: Roger, this is a Roger Corman film, so you know that the poster, there was more time put into the poster than the actual creature.
0: <laughs> the uh, next up on our list is a movie that uh, I, I I've heard of the alternate title, but I'm not as familiar with the main or the one that we have down here is its original title which is island of the fishmen from 1979 I, also known as Screamers. i've
1: seen island of the fishmen yes that's i think that's another one too. that um island of the fishmen is um that one i can't remember what it was I, I don't know if if corman uh purchased the movie it's an italian film i'm looking it up now because i know yeah. i reviewed it on
2: the on the it's blog. also one of those films that like they were Shot in the Philippines, but they're trying to pass it off as Hawaii. Which, like, yeah. the Philippines is actually beautiful, but not the way they shot the Philippines. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, they're yeah. always like in some like there's like supposed to be the ocean in Hawaii, which you know isn't as crystal clear as other places in the Pacific, but it's pretty crystal clear. And you know they throw like a net into the water, and it's like a brown, muddy river. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, and mm-hmm. like, right. right. And, and then right. all of the Filipino folks that they brought in to play Hawaiians and. And they don't speak English, and it's just—it's from a cultural point of view as a Pacific Islander, it's pr- pretty much the most offensive movie I can imagine. It's up there with yeah. like *Joe versus the Volcano*, but it's, I mean, it, it, as a person who likes schlocky movies, it's like Dave said about that other one—like it's really watchable. Like it's a yeah. really fun bad movie. It, it is. It's directed
1: by Sergio Martino, so it's, it's an Italian film. Has Barbara Bach, Richard Johnson, and Joseph Cotton in it. And it's sort of a uh, take on the island of Dr. Moreau, in a way, um, you know, the, with the uh, with the creatures. And then it's entertaining. It was released a year later. It was titled Screamers. Yes. And released a year later by Roger Corman's uh, New World Pictures and had an added sequence. I to have it. not yeah. seen
0: this, but you both have sold me on it, uh, both for its schlockiness and offensiveness. Uh, but I will say this. The fact that it was called Screamers and that ad that is on Google, uh, I'm reading uh, Michael Gingold's ad nauseum right now, mm-hmm. and he has that in there, and he mentions that particular ad because in the ad, it shows what appears to be a man, not a fish man, but a man who's it looks like his skin has been flayed, but it says, they're men turned inside out, and worse, they're still alive. And I believe his little caption was that audiences were severely disappointed when they went into this movie and realized they were not going to get <laughs> what the poster promised. Uh, Cause it, uh, right. it apparently has nothing to do with men turned inside out.
2: No. <laughs> and I uh, may have just been talking about a different movie that time. <laughs> did that sound like, <laughs> did that sound unfair? familiar to you dave when i was talking yeah, I was about wondering
1: that. what you were talking about i don't i didn't remember too many islanders and in- I, I think with i was you. actually talking about demon of paradise uh oh think- okay demon of Par- paradise is another one i reviewed on episode 148 because it was a double feature with up from the depths which, which let's not, let's not jump go. to it
0: just yet because that's the last movie on our list but next up is alligator okay. from 1980 which i love i haven't seen nice. it in years but that is a great movie as i remember it
1: Great movie, absolutely. Robert Forster, yeah. John Sales
0: screenplay. I mean, it is a, it is a, yep. kid, kid, Little kid in a swimming pool getting eaten. I mean, come on, that is amazing. Yep.
2: <laughs> and again, probably a hundred alligator movies have been made since of then. course of course and
0: it is also one of those movies that i'm sure we all had and i remember it's summer camp way before i was supposed to hear it oh slightly older than me kids were talking about it and so my first images i remember them talking about the the pool scene and a few other things and i was just horrified so when i went into it a couple years later i was just expecting to be traumatized forever but i still loved it it was great uh humanoids yeah. from the deep a movie that is problematic <laughs> oh
1: i i love humanoids from the deep it is my <laughs> Favorite Roger Corman film. I absolutely love it. Yes, problematic, absolutely, when Corman, because Barbara Peters directed it, um, I think eventually wanted to get her name off of it or didn't want to have anything to do with it because Corman made them go back out and shoot some nude scenes that don't fit with the rest of the movie. I mean, there's one point where I think there's like a red-headed uh, w- uh, woman in a tent, topless, and when she runs out, she's suddenly blonde uh, because they <laughs> use a completely different actress, but it's... it's uh, i i absolutely love the movie it's got vic morrow in it doing what he does best just playing a a total jerk and it does have some legitimate scares in it i mean you know there's one sequence where they put five jump scares or something like that into it so you start laughing after a while but it does have legitimate scares. I I and I like it's humanoids really. Deep. Goofy, I love it. Though. It's pretty oh, it's goofy. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. There's, it's goofy, it's cheesy as hell, but it's fun and I I the, the fact that the, at the end when the when the creatures go up they swipe at a guy and take his side off to expose his ribs and then turn around and daintily pull off a woman's top, you know, without <laughs> oh, inflicting a scratch, you uh, know what you're getting from the movie. And
0: there it is. A movie that I'm not sure what we're getting, by the way, is Loch Ness Horror from 1981.
2: I haven't yeah. seen that one. I, I, I felt like I'd researched Loch Ness Monster movies before, but I found a few today that I'd never seen before. And Loch Ness Horror looks like one based on the poster that I need to see. It almost looks like Clash of the Titans-esque based on the poster. So mm-hmm. I want to check that one out. But based on the trailer, not not exactly. Uh Clash of the Titans, but Yeah. Right. Looks like maybe one of the worst dinosaurs of all time. <laughs> based on the trailer.
0: <laughs> and another movie that I'm pretty sure is not Clash of the Titans is Blood Tide from 1982.
1: Unfortunately I didn't I did not see that I didn't, I didn't see either. that one either. Yeah, based on the
0: imagery, it is uh it's something. That's what I'll say. It's something. Alright, so the final movie before we jump to What I know from a personal perspective was a banner year of 89. But before we get to that, we have Demon of Paradise, uh, 1987, a movie that, according to Wolfman Josh, is highly sensitive.
2: (laughs) Yes. Right. Yeah, definitely (laughs) was. Uh, This one, not so much Island of Fishermen, although uh, I think Island of Fishermen does take place in the Caribbean. So maybe talk to those folks. It it may also be very. Uh, oh, it's, uh, <laughs> it, 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 yes, there is. As a matter of fact,
1: there is a a voodoo priestess uh, hey. at one point. So yeah, so you're not you're not totally off base with that one. Uh, but I did also review Demon of Paradise in episode 148, along with Up from the Desk, because it is a a Roger Corman
2: double feature uh, DVD set and i will say screamers aka island of the fisherman and demon of paradise are both available on amazon prime for free stream Joel if you're All interested right. in checking Excellent. them
0: out yeah De- definitely the uh screamers one i i don't know about yeah. demon of paradise as much but but definitely like the screamers That's fun. Okay. And now the one that uh, the year I would just say and not anything else. uh, 1989 is a big year for these types of movies. We started off with Deep Star Six directed by the one and only Sean S. Cunningham
2: there was clearly something going on around this time. And I don't know if there was something in the world. A lot of these films have Russians involved. And Mm -hmm. obviously this is right around the time that the Berlin wall fell as well. But I was wondering like, was there like some kind of uh, Russian submarine scare? And there was, I looked back, I think the atomic sub launched in like 83, I believe I don't have the, in front of me at this moment, but as I understand it, um This Russian submarine um, was sunk at the bottom of the ocean and they just left it there and it had nuclear warhead on it. And so I did wonder if that had something to do with yeah, kind of it, this it proliferation could of crazy stuff going on at the bottom of the ocean. Movies yeah, it, it could was, have been, but
0: I always sort of assumed that because I remember very well, the abyss was coming out. And, you know, of course, you know, Cameron, it was like a, it was such a big deal because of the groundbreaking effects for the time and everything. So I always thought of deep, as much as I love them, but I always thought of Deep Star Six, Leviathan and Lords of the Deep as being sort of the, those lower budget equivalents of trying to come, you know, uh, you get out at the exact same time, you know, to, sort of like Dante's Peak versus volcano yeah and and armageddon versus deep impact yeah
2: i i think that was probably more likely or at least as likely you know corman obviously worked with cameron just eight years prior so Mm -hmm. corman was probably well aware of what cameron was up to with the abyss sean cunningham is also in that horror circle sam winston to the creature effects for leviathan so i feel like the horror world probably was well aware that cameron following aliens was going to do this huge movie and everyone was like all right let's do our version of that and get it out at the same time yeah that's 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 my that's what
0: i i vote for as being the primary reason and motivator but to your point probably i could see maybe that russian sub situation being some
2: sort of an influence on cameron for sure. Right. Yeah. And maybe that's what that was about, but it was, I don't know. It was interesting. I don't, I don't know how you guys feel about those films. I like, it's weird because I think deep star six is a better movie than Leviathan in a lot of ways, but it's, mm. it's more subtle. Like, but Leviathan is a much more dynamic movie. Like yeah. there's a lot more going on. It's a lot more exciting, but it's also like more deeply misogynist, just totally goofy and dumbed yeah. down. Like, you know, whereas in deep star six, when things start breaking in the underwater station, they're running around following procedures trying to seal everything up. Whereas in Leviathan, when similar things are going on, they're just kind of like five minutes to implosion, four <laughs> minutes to implosion. <laughs> you know, like there's no realism behind it at all. But I, I did enjoy both movies in different ways. Leviathan takes a long time to get going. It's like 50 minutes mm-hmm. before you're dealing with monsters, but when you do It's awesome. It's a thing. Yeah, and it's like a really crazy creature effects, and it's insane. Whereas Deep Star 6, things start happening early on, but you actually never really see the monster until the very end, Mm -hmm. and when you do, it's not very good, I don't think, comparatively. I mean, it's cool creature design, but practically it's not moving as in as well or as interestingly as uh what sam winston was able to create And so i don't know i just they're an interesting companion piece and they really just tread yeah. a lot of the same territory
0: yeah but i do think stan winston's design like that that is what helps it stand out and from just a purely nostalgic personal perspective my heart is with leviathan because i remember my dad taking me to see that And I always feel like it came out, even though I know it's 89 and Tremors was 90, but he took me to see both of those. And I always like in my head lumped them together as being, I think, closer in time than they probably actually were. But um, and also the Abyss, he took me to see that as well. So Leviathan, though, I think maybe because it was starting where he would let me rent R-rated movies from time to time. But this is one of the earlier R-rated movies he actually took me to because 89, he took me to see Pet Cemetery, The Lord of the Flies remake and this like I remember those three that year being taken to see and so it like to me the soft spot that i have is for leviathan i actually don't think i saw deep star six until some years later um hmm. I, kn- I know i had to have seen it before jason grooms and i covered it on forgotten flicks because we did cover as one of our earliest episodes we actually did a double feature
2: i think they actually come in a double dvd pack for anyone who i think i have it actually like a oh really that makes deep sense star six, leviathan come together like in a dvd set you know in those cheap dvd sure. like double right. features. I, I think Ernie Hudson is so good in this and a spoiler alert for this movie. It pisses me off that he makes it to the final three minutes and then dies. I know. I hated that. I still so to this day hate that. It's so like, annoying. Right. It's so frustrating. It's
0: really ridiculous. It's sort of like, of course, obviously the trope throughout eighties movies in particular, uh, which we'll throw this in. The, and I mean, obviously it'll oftentimes go to slasher is that the black character is not going to make it. That was always right. the the trope, uh, and, and
2: so to go this far. Oh, and I know then it was die? ridiculous. It
0: was I, you actually. I remember. I I even feel like I had this vague sense, like even as a child, realizing, oh, are they going to actually let this guy live till the end? No, <laughs> great. They're gonna they're gonna kill Winston. One of my favorite Ghostbusters. Thanks for that.
2: Yeah, he was good. You really saw Deep Star Six as well. Like all the all the people of color are the first to go in that yeah. movie. It's like, mm. wow! Like she was the best character, and you're gonna yes. and you're gonna kill her. Yeah, she of uh, uh, North Shore fame. I'm blanking on her name oh, right now, peoples. But yes, exactly. Peoples, yes. I will. Say I also, as much as I love RoboCop, I thought Peter Weller really lacked charisma in this performance. I was just like, man, he is dry. At least for the first half of the movie man this is not playing well for well, me if you really but. think about robocop as a character it's not
0: exactly uh <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> your
0: move creep i mean it's <laughs> yeah, good point <laughs> <laughs> but uh i will say a movie that i am very familiar with like i know of it very well in fact back in the day when i would did you guys ever go to your video stores and they would give away the posters for free oh,
1: yeah, definitely. Yep. yeah the, the only one i ever got was for for punchline Oh wow, we're, the Tom Hanks Tom movie, in Sally Field? Field. Yeah, so I didn't really look for any more. Yeah, you're
0: like, ah, never mind." Well, I remember I we had several mom and pop video stores and I used to love just one of my favorite things to do was just sit there with the box and they would just like cuz they yeah, I was a kid, they didn't care. And I they would have them labeled on the they rolled up, but you'd see the white cuz they weren't like the theatrical ones where they're double-sided. And so I would and occasionally I would get some really at the blob that way, uh Demon Wind. I had the howling six and i i can't remember what the i think the one side was like a different diving kind of movie like a thriller type maybe it was called the dive maybe but on the other side was sort of like this weird it was a poster for lords of the deep but it wasn't like the poster for lords of the deep it was like a almost like a if you've seen like what the the like an ad like an ad you would see in your newspaper you know like like that kind of thing and so um, I remember I didn't have that. So I was always familiar with it, but I never saw it. Like to this day, I have never seen Lords of the Deep. Have either of you seen it?
1: No,
2: I, I did see it. I, it's been a little while, but you know, I, I mentioned that the monster in uh, deep star six doesn't look great. That, uh, <laughs> that that's not true. When compared to Lords of the Deep, that came out. This <laughs> <time>. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Everyone always say
0: like, okay, Leviathan is like the abyss but obviously you know, slightly lower budget and not quite uh, deep star six is definitely even more lower budget than that. And then there's Lords of the deep. <laughs> and yes, that, was, exactly. that was the one that was like on the, on the bottom rung of that ladder.
2: <laughs> it's at a rung all its own. Yes. And the rung unfortunately is the very bottom. rung. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Well produced by Roger Corman and you know, there it is. So yeah. I guess then the, the movie though, it is best known from that year. Ah, uh, the abyss from 1989, and Dave, I believe you're going to at least give us a little mini review for the abyss.
1: Yeah, I, I watched this uh, again today for the first time since uh, first picking up the double DVD set, which was back in 2001. This wow. might have been one of the first 20 DVDs I picked up. Yeah, uh, was for the abyss. Just to give you a quick, a quick idea. Here's a synopsis from from IMDb: A civilian diving team is enlisted to search for a lost nuclear submarine. And face danger while encountering an alien aquatic species. And you think of that. You think of that scene where th- there's a scene late in the movie where uh, the creatures, they can control water. And the water is coming out and it's going down. And it's, it's like going down the hallways of their station until it finally finds Mary Elizabeth Mastriano who, uh, who has had some connections with and, and it's sort of trying to communicate with them. It's like these creatures trying to communicate with them. It's just such a cool scene. The effects are like really strong. And the effects throughout the movie I think are, are really strong.
2: For anyone who hasn't seen it, this was technology that was that Cameron later used in T2 for the liquid metal. So if right. you're familiar with how the liquid metal kind of moves in Terminator 2, uh, that's kind of what the water is doing here. But, you know, that's the whole thing and it's doing it a lot more i guess right
1: and he does and, and Cameron has a has a, a a real uh affinity for the ocean i mean if you look at well, some of the movies he's done i mean he, he did i know i think it was aliens of the of the deep was a uh documentary and a really good documentary which i think i've talked about before is is uh, ghost of the abyss about titanic uh where he actually goes down to the uh, Titanic and sends these bots through the ship.
2: Um, yeah. It actually just- goes down into the Mariana Trench as well. I think he's been the deepest he can go in the ocean. Yeah, when it was starting out, I mean, you you can kind of see
1: his weaknesses in in the dialogue section. Uh, I wasn't really feeling the dialogue at the beginning of the movie. I don't think Cameron. That's one of his strengths, anyway. I know he wrote Rambo: First Blood Part Two, and I never thought the dialogue in that was the best part of the movie. Really, either. shocking. Uh, yeah, right. Like, do we get to win this time? Oh, come on. Anyway, uh, it didn't matter because the acting is good. I mean, I really liked the Mary Elizabeth Mastrano in this. I thought she was she played a strong character. Ed Harris is always uh, is always good, but it's it really is the effects and. Where the story goes, but it is more of a adventure sci-fi, I think, than it is a horror film, but I still think it was one that I think you have to see. I think it's, it's, it's when, you, when you're talking about these deep sea sort of creatures. And uh, even though it gave it away a little bit in that synopsis, I don't want to go too deep into um, what they find out about these uh, these creatures, because I thought that was another really cool aspect. The uh, great scene at the end with Ed Harris as he's going even deeper than than the rest of them. And it's uh, just a really good scene. So I yeah, I'd say this is another one a, probably probably a, a 7.5 and a definite movie you should see. It really depends on which ending you see of that film, right? I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, like, I saw the extended cut. Doesn't the extended cut have a totally new ending? Well, I don't know. I've honestly never seen the theatrical,
2: so I've only oh. ever seen the extended cut. Okay, interesting. Yeah, as, I think, as I, I again, it's been years. I probably haven't seen it since the same time you did. I bought the DVD right when it came out, um, and I think I watched both versions, and then I haven't watched it again <laughs> since then. But, yeah. Um, As I recall, the ending is much different in the director's cut than it is in the theatrical cut. Like almost completely different. Yeah, as I understand it, I I, it's been a very long time. My favorite scene that I remember is a scene where, due to the pressure, tell me if this is a spoiler, Dave. But I think it's so cool. Um, Due to the pressure they're experiencing underwater, Ed Harris has to learn how to breathe fluid. And they have this oxygenated fluid. Mm-hmm. That was
1: something that the military brought on board, and there's, they show a scene with a rat initially, and how, what happens. And he, it's what it is: is it's liquefied oxygen, and the scene where he is breathing it in and reacting to it. Oh,
0: that was so terrifying!
1: It is because I'm trying to put myself in the position of what that would be like to oh, to start horrible. taking it in, and I would be freaking out, like I would be going crazy. Yeah. Ugh. So, well,
0: thank you very much for that uh, review and 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 reminding me of how utterly terrified I am of drowning. So thank you for that, uh, Dave. And sure. <laughs> the next one up on our list is the Rift from 1990.
2: Yeah, and again, right around that time, and again, submarine-related, an experimental submarine, the Siren 2, is sent out to find what happened to the Siren 1, which has mysteriously disappeared in a submarine rift. <laughs> Things go awry when they begin to find things that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. So um, I, it's been years since I've seen this one. I remember thinking it wasn't great, but uh, I don't know. I, I'd have liked to revisit this one. I just wasn't able to.
0: Yeah.
2: I, I honestly,
0: I feel like the poster looks vaguely familiar to me, but I don't really remember it at all. So I don't know if I ever did or not. And uh, let's see Then we have, um, we, we jump way ahead. Obviously there was a, uh, a, a no longer an interest in, in, in Soviet sub activities since the wall had fallen.
2: It's <laughs> <From, laughs> not.
0: For, for the next eight years. Uh, Deep Rising from 1998, which I have not seen in many years, but I do remember loving quite a bit. It is cheesy, can't be fun. Stephen Summers. Um, it has, I think, at least uh, one or two of, of his uh, cast from
2: The Mummy. This is really where our taste diverges, stuff like this. <laughs> we really do have similar taste in a lot of stuff, but it's sure. things like this. I just, we were never, we will never. <laughs> <laughs> I had a major crush on Fonky Janssen at this stage of my life. Yeah. And I could barely sit through this movie. I just remember struggling into my seat to go like, oh. well,
0: here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I do remember really liking it. Um, it has treat Williams, man. And he, and he is a, a co-star of Dead Heat. So.
2: <laughs> it has Treat Williams. <laughs>
0: it has Treat Williams. That is my go-to response. I remember the CGI. I mean, it, even at that time, wasn't great.
2: The internet cut out because what I was going to say was so offensive. <laughs> 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 uh to to mr
0: williams or just to me <laughs>
2: uh, to mr will I, he's great i'm sure but i've never heard him used as a selling point for a while. <laughs> okay
0: okay well i love dead heat so you know forgive me i i would have used joe piscopo if i had to to sell dead heat
2: <laughs> but uh but yeah
0: look i i admit i i like i like ball movies you know from time to time it's funny i'm very hit and miss with that because sometimes I'll, I'll a movie i know i should like You know, because it is so cheeseball, and then I I just end up in a bad mood. I'm like, no, I don't like you. Forget it. But Hmm. uh, Deep Rising was not one of those movies. So,
1: yeah. Have you ever seen it, Dave? I don't think I have. I would like to. I mean, if you could
0: forgive the really bad late '90s CGI, um, Mm -hmm. I I think I think you might enjoy it. I mean, it's a cheesy, you know, romp by. anybody's standard. I, the beauty of this uh, is, Josh, we're not going to disagree on if you want to like rip it a new one. I'm going to be like, <laughs> yeah, your point. <laughs> I can't disagree with that. Well,
1: this was the movie he made. Uh, Steven Summers made right before the mummy. Yes. Yes. I mean, a year before, Which obviously yeah, it was good um,
0: enough to get in that
1: gig. <laughs> Yeah, yeah
0: for a movie that also sucked <laughs>
3: oh,
0: hey wait hey no, hold, hold I, that I close
1: to... uh, come on I, that, I'm going to disagree with that. that point. I have fun with the night I, I, do, movie. Yeah, I, I have I do fun too. with the mommy I too, do too. Yeah.
0: Uh, but uh, plus we have to save that for the Universal Monsters episode that we swear will right. one day yeah. come out yeah. um, uh, now the next up in that right. same year I, I was working at the I feel like I was working at the movie at this point either that or I was still very good friends with several people that did because I remember no, I had to be because I remember
1: standing in the booth watching part of Sphere. Sphere. Ugh. I love the way it opened. I thought the first half of Sphere was was really strong, and I didn't like where it ultimately went. I thought it fell apart a little bit at the end there. Um, but it's been a long time. I mean, the last time I saw this, I, I had bought the videotape, you know, on oh, wow. VHS. So it's been a very long time since I've seen it, and I'd have to revisit it. I just
0: remember thinking it was, it was dull. Like,
1: I I really don't remember almost anything about it. I just remember thinking
0: it was boring
2: see i loved this movie when it came out i it was one of those that i avoided because it got pretty bad reviews as i recall i don't know i was a kid yeah i think you're right though i think it did but i remember this came out right around the same time as event horizon and i felt like people didn't really know what to make of either of these movies they got compared to each other a lot kind of in that deep impact volcano kind of way and uh i remember loving both of them but i actually now i would probably say i love event horizon more but at the time I loved this movie. This was one that I saw, the Dollar Theater, which we had in our town at that time. And I must have seen this eight times at the Dollar Movie. I miss the Dollar
0: Movie, man. That's how I would see those movies. Yeah, exact same thing. I would see a movie half a dozen times. I saw the Jurassic Park. Of my 19 times seeing Jurassic Park, at least half, if not more, were at a Dollar Theater. Now, I have
2: not seen this probably since I bought the DVD the day I bought the DVD, but <laughs> um, I don't know if it would hold up. But I do like the premise, so I'm just going to read it really quick from IMDb because I think it's cool. A spaceship is discovered under 300 years worth of coral growth at the bottom of the ocean, which is such a cool concept. It is. I will spoil slightly when they get aboard the this, this spaceship, Dustin Hoffman says... I don't know how to explain this, but I think this is an American spaceship. <laughs> right. And with dialogue right. like that. Super cool. yeah. yeah. Well, and
0: anyway, anyway, I think we should let anybody who doesn't know, I believe it was based on a Michael Crichton book, correct? I believe it yeah.
2: was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, did, I had forgotten that. Yeah, that's, that's mean, why I remember being excited.
0: I mean, I, I after Jurassic Park, which obviously, again, as we've established, I was a complete and total dork with seeing that movie as many times as I did. I was just like all in for any movies remotely based on his work. So when Congo came out, I was super stoked.
2: And then they all sucked.
0: <laughs> and, then, and then yeah, I'm like, yeah. Eh, well, not as good mm-hmm. as I was hoping. All but I just remember with Sphere, the thing again, the only sense memory I have of that movie is just being like <sighs> you know, like that was my hmm. my feeling. Hmm.
2: Well, I was going to watch it today, rewatch it today, but then I ended up rewatching Leviathan instead. So. And, and skipping Underwater. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And, yeah, well, right. All right. So then another one that I have not seen in many a moon, but I loved this movie when I first saw it, which was Lake Placid from 1989.
1: Yeah. Good scenes in this one. I I, I keep thinking of one with a bear. Yes. That's probably my favorite scene in the movie. Um, It doesn't have the most likable characters. Other than Betty White. as a matter of, well, other than Betty White. Well, yeah, Betty White's Betty White's pretty, I mean, she doesn't play the greatest character, but you do, you you still like her. Yeah, it's better. Uh, in, in the film, and you, you can't help but laugh at her. But I mean, some of these characters, you just want to like, you just want to slap them. You're like, just shut up already, because mm-hmm. they are very annoying people. But the movie itself is entertaining, and I did have a lot of fun with it.
2: Yeah, and again, I only include it here because, number one, it's kind of a gigantic crocodile, so it's not sure. a oh, normal yeah. animal. Uh, but then also, it's probably, I would guess, responsible for the huge amount of really bad crocodile movies. Oh, <laughs> that, yeah, <laughs> definitely all out, the ones yeah, that yeah. came out throughout the 2000s, absolutely, yeah. Alligator from
0: 1980, because you think about it, there's no other movies after that. I mean, not that off the top of my head. I'm sure there were some knockoff, very low-budget type things but it it didn't have I mean I don't think it had the same level of impact after Lake Placid to your point that you got a lot I mean because the sci-fi channel was kicking those things out those are are probably the movies I'm referring to but uh, I think we can thank Lake Placid for many of those
2: yeah and I think people still it's a beloved film people really like it yeah Yeah.
0: and uh, next up which we already talked about a little bit earlier which is Dagon from 2001 yes uh, Such a good movie. Yes, and then Incident at Loch Ness from
1: 2004. I'm- I love this movie. I really do. With with uh, Werner Herzog. Yeah, uh, it's like a found yeah. footage mockumentary type film. Oh, uh, I vaguely remember this. Werner Herzog yeah. plays himself. Yes, I remember when this came yeah. out. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep meaning to go back and revisit it because I've seen it a few times and, and, and enjoy it every time. Uh, and, and I just want to go back and watch it again because it's it's just something about Werner Ver, Herzog and these kind of movies, you know? yeah. I think it's Zach Penn that I found really annoying yes. in the Yeah, film. Zach Penn definitely was. And I think that way he was designed to be that way because he's, he's pissing everybody off in that movie, yeah. uh, including Werner Herzog. So, uh, that you know, I, I, and I think that was by design. Um, I think even Jeff Goldblum shows up at, at a dinner party uh, at one point toward the beginning of the movie, which I thought was really interesting also. But yeah. And where it ultimately goes, because it does start to get, um, you know, cross into that, that horror realm towards the end there um with what's happening to them while they're on that boat uh in in this uh, in Loch Ness. Yeah, it's fun. It's and it's
2: definitely more horror than like the water horse or something.
1: <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, but is it more horror than our next entry which is Scooby Doo and the Loch Ness Monster from 2004?
2: I think Scooby Doo is more horror to be honest of that's those probably, two. That's, that's, that's probably pick. that's probably fair. <laughs> Yeah, and that's one of those Scooby-Doo movies that they did in that era. And I think they actually—I don't know if you guys ever watched those. Because of my kids, I got the chance to watch all of them. And there's some really good Scooby-Doo standalone features in that era that all came out. And uh, Loch Ness sponsors good. It's not the best of those, but it's 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 definitely watchable. I have to be honest; I'm a
0: little disappointed. I have my kids have not watched as much Scooby-Doo as I would have hoped they would have because I watch that constantly. When I was a mm-hmm. kid, I just I just like mainlined Scooby Doo. Oh, I,
1: I me too. I, I that I used to love watching like the, the Flintstones and all oh, that yeah. so my kids don't even know who the Flintstones are. Yeah,
0: mine at least have a, a passing familiarity with that. And I've tried to but you know, there's only so much that you can you know go like, oh, right only so many hours in a day. Uh so next right. up we have <laughs> the host from two thousand six. Classic South Korean yeah, film.
1: Absolutely awesome.
0: Which I have to admit I still have yet to see. I'm sorry, guys. Mm. I was actually going to try to watch it before this episode, but I failed you. I apologize.
1: Definitely, that, you know it's squeezing in at any point cuz it's just, it's a great movie. I know,
0: I need to. Uh Scooby-Doo Curse of the Lake Monster.
2: Now that one is a live-action film. Uh the era that this film was made, they did two at least two live-action Scooby-Doo films with a completely different cast than like the Matthew Lillard Okay. iteration and it's, it's a much mm-hmm. worse cast and a much lower production quality they're made for tv but again i've seen them because of my kids it's kind of fun yes mm-hmm. and uh in 2010 the rig the rig i did not see but i like the poster <laughs> and i like the concept so yeah. i, I it, it sounds like fun i'm
0: assuming would this have been is this a a, a movie that's a, a reaction to the um oil spill in the gulf was that the probably so i'm trying to remember what year that happened i feel like it would have been a little before that before 2010 was it like 28 2008 ish yeah it it all bleeds together after a while
2: um yeah this says uh in the midst of a tropical storm the crew of an offshore oil rig must survive the rampage of a creature after invading its undersea habitat Hmm.
0: interesting The Gulf
2: oil spill was actually
0: April of 2010. So I doubt it was in response to that. It was just uh, uh, un- you go. uh really uh, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill specifically is what I was referring to. Same year. So obviously their timing was yeah.
2: right on. Yeah. yeah. With William Forsyth. Right. Or maybe it's such a low quality movie that they were able to pump it out.
0: Yeah. Pump it out, yeah like six weeks. <laughs> yeah. It's very possible. In October. Because this came out in, the, oh, dude, came yeah, out in October. Oh, dude. Right. <laughs> you might be right. You might be right. may maybe exactly what happened. That's funny. <laughs> wow. Yeah, way to, way to, you know, take a tragedy and turn it into an opportunity.
1: Okay, so Cold Skin. Yeah, Joel and I reviewed this on, uh have to figure out what episode that was. It, it was, was early. It might have been your, was
2: it your first? I as think it host? was. Yeah, I think it was. I
0: think it was. For Joel, I, yeah. think it was. Yep. I
2: think it was. Yeah. I think it was. Oh, You know what, true. I just remembered, yeah, it was while I was at Sundance, I believe. Yep, it was. I was, yes, was going to the Sundance coverage, and then you guys recorded this separately uh at, at that
0: time. So we got The Meg from 2018, a movie that I just saw today for the first time with my family, and uh, I, I give it a a solid 8.
2: Very nice. Yeah. And yeah, we reviewed that with the matzotologist who'll be our guest here in a minute. Uh if you missed that episode, that was Shark Attack Part 2.
0: Yes, indeed. And then Sea Fever from 2020.
2: Sea Fever was good. Did you guys happen to see this one?
0: No, not yet.
2: Okay, yeah. the, the, I was planning on feature reviewing that one at first. It's a good movie. I think it will probably make some people's top ten lists. The reason I didn't decide to feature review it is it just felt like kind of a retread of a lot of the other movies that we're talking about. It's basically like uh, if you did a modernized retelling of Leviathan and deep star six, but rather than making it kind of over the top body horror, like Leviathan, you went like the realistic indie route. It feels very rooted in reality. It's very subtle and understated. And so it, although very good. And again, I think people will appreciate this, in the context of all the films we've watched, it was kind of underwhelming. There is a really cool shot or a few really cool shots with the underwater creature, which looks like a gigantic Cthulhu, you know, Kraken type of, creature with bioluminescence and it just looks so huge and expansive and otherworldly and i love that but that's only in a few shots in a couple of scenes and the rest of the film is really operating as a virus contagion film which is good but again i was kind of telling dave like everything i watch nowadays just feels like a contagion film or a quarantine film, I watched Demons, and I was like, oh, this is kind of a contagion film. And I watched Sea Fever. <laughs> this is kind of a contagion film. And I watched Leviathan. And I was like, oh, this is a contagion film, Deep Star 6. <laughs> Is a contagion film? (laughs) Holy (laughs) crap, man! Cannot get away from these. I'm going to go watch Rear Window, which is totally a quarantine film. (laughs) It totally is. Yeah, Uh, I wonder wonder why you're suddenly seeing everything through that
0: filter, Josh. That's very strange.
2: Yeah, but it's really there though, too. I mean, that's true. I do wonder how this never happened. Would I have been so keenly aware of it? But man. It's a little much, to be honest. So I just didn't feel like talking about <laughs> another film, But there are some really cool visuals, an amazing all-star Irish cash like if you know this is like as good as it gets from this region uh really cool i will just read the imdb synopsis as long as we're here the crew of a west of ireland trawler marooned at sea struggles for their lives against a growing parasite in their water supply and this parasite comes by way of a gigantic leviathan from the deep so it's it's kind of cool and definitely related um i don't know let's see i probably give this one like a 7.5 and call it a rental um and it's like a 399 rental on amazon prime and, and definitely worth seeing
0: excellent nice and considering the dearth of horror that we've gotten i mean i know there's been quite a bit released obviously to uh on demand but i just feel like this this year as far as the uh horror movie options i don't know
2: yeah. Due to the limited options, I mean, again, I don't want to take anything away from people who legitimately love this movie, but I will say due to the limited options, I think this will be in the end of the year conversation. Okay. So maybe we're checking out. It'll be definitely lower on the end for me, though, I will say. Okay. Well, and then
0: our final movie on this particular uh, section is Underwater, a movie we'll be reviewing very soon, as you alluded to, with uh, The Mad Citologist, yeah. and that is obviously a 2020 movie. And by the yeah. way, Josh, total side note, I'm sure we, some of you know that somebody's playing the piano in the background. I didn't want to like not right, say anything. I right. and, and then you sent me to stop, but I no, it's it. okay. I just, I just didn't want to get the message from you later going, dude, why didn't you tell me you could hear me. <laughs> So I is get it right.
2: pretty is it pretty no, noticeable. It,
0: most of the time it's barely noticeable, obviously, especially right. when you're talking. But then every once in a while it sounds like you're like in an old timey uh, saloon or something.
1: Right. <laughs> like like we're like we're a silent movie and yeah, someone's providing yeah, a soundtrack. Exactly. Yeah, a little for, bit, a yeah. little
0: bit. It's not horrible like constantly, It just it it kinda goes in and out. Yeah. Right.
2: That's cool. Well, hopefully we covered all of the notable films. There are obviously a million others, like Megalodon and Kraken, Tentacles of the Deep, and Loch Ness Terror, and Extinction, Predator X, and on and on and on and on. But uh, I didn't think any of those were necessarily <laughs> worth touching on. If 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 we're wrong, if we miss something big, definitely let us know in the show notes at horrormoviepodcast.com. I would love to see a great sea monster movie.
0: Well, I think there's always whenever we try to do these list breakdown type of shows i'm always realizing inside there's no way we got everything like there's gonna be somebody's gonna point out the most obvious one Like i can't believe you guys yeah. didn't talk about and fill in the blank and i'm gonna be like oh you're so right we should have talked about that <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I, I actually really loathe the later uh, pirates of the caribbean films i liked the first johnny depp one but i just hated how uh, unrestrained and expansive the sequels were and also just the cgi i found Unwatchable, but having said all that, I do think, although all the problems that I have with that CGI exist in the sequence, uh, they have one of the coolest kraken things ever committed to film. Especially now that I've, we've actually looked through the list, and there aren't too many krakens on yeah. film. Um, right. Really amazing kraken attack scene in that movie. Yeah, wait, which sure. which movie was yeah. that one in? Dead Man's Chest, I believe. Right. Okay. I don't remember which 2006. One was. Yeah,
0: it was. Was that the second one?
2: I think that was the second one. Yeah. I was say, I, the of sound the of Davy Jones.
0: Yes. Yes. The, yeah. The Davy Jones yeah. locker thing. Yeah. That, that was, I remember actually liking that one at least, at least uh, a little bit. So uh,
2: yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Not me. <laughs> 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 well, I, I love the people, although, you know, it gets over the top with Johnny Depp, but I just feel like I don't know. I feel like Gore Verbinski—he kind of got to that point where a lot of really successful creatives get to where just nobody's editing him anymore. Yeah. It's Just kind of like do whatever you want. Yeah, sure, we, all sure. There.
0: Yeah, we need a three-hour-long Pirates of the Caribbean movie. That's a good yeah. idea. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, then I guess that wraps up our conversation, and uh, I believe we have somebody on the line who's joining us now.
1: There's a p- there's also a piano playing in the background. <laughs> I was going to say it's 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 it kind of reminds me of like Schroeder from the uh, from the old <laughs> Peanuts. Uh...
0: <laughs> and bonus points if you can guess the tune being played in the
1: background. <laughs> <laughs> I can name that tune in
2: two notes. I, believe me, I can name the tune. <laughs>
3: non nonstop
2: around here uh, the best part- I, I know that i've told you guys this the listeners don't know i have i am quarantined with someone who's learning a bach feud from memory uh, well which is really impressive but
0: the best part is i, I know enough about bach to know the, how you know beautiful the music is but because i think it's coming over you know th- th- by way of a, a microphone
1: and my headphones and it, and it sounds like it's being played on a child's it, piano it, does, it, it totally
0: like. does it's sounds. it sounds oh. like a really just like a really tinny like like you're in a saloon right. circa 1882 right. Right. Like, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> oh boy all right I wish so. was in a saloon. <laughs> <laughs> i'll take a sarsaparilla all right so joining us now uh before we we get into our underwater review uh we are joined by the one the only the mad cetologist. welcome thanks for having me absolutely
2: yeah welcome you of course joined us previously when we talked about the meg and told us all of the scientific truths (laughs) related to that film and i'm looking forward to doing the same with this topic and so what I am, so I'm a
4: professor here at the University of Wisconsin-Oshkosh, which um, I know Wisconsin's like not exactly the first place you think of when you think of people who uh, work in what I do, but uh, I specialize in looking at the evolution and ecology of marine mammals, particularly whales, but also um, seals and walruses and such. So I teach teach a lot of human anatomy and do a lot of research with myself and undergrads looking at how these different groups evolved. So that's a esotologist in general, just a fancy way of saying a whale biologist. So,
2: and you're also a trained paleontologist as well, correct?
4: Yes. Uh, so actually I went into science as a dinosaur nerd and um, through just simple fate of who I ended up working with, I ended up transitioning into whales and I've stuck with it ever since. So a lot of my research does involve fossils and, I'm on a paper that's just got accepted that's describing a new species of killer dolphin from South Carolina. So uh, I'm not the first author of that. My good colleague, uh, Robert Bostecker, is, who's down in Charleston. But uh, yeah, we just described this. It's probably got maybe a meter-long skull. would have been the top predator in its ecosystem. Just this big, scary dolphin thing. (laughs) Congratulations. So that'll be coming out hopefully by the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Congratulations. And also congratulations for coming up with the next sci-fi original movie, Killer Dolphin.
4: <laughs> I mean, I think like most paleontologists, a lot of us ended up also being kind of interested in things like cryptozoology and sea monsters and all that, because, you know, the thing that kind of attracted us to things like dinosaurs is that they're like monsters and they're real. And so things like Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, Mokila Mbembe... Those are also monsters that might be real, might not be. So Mm. I think you get a lot of overlap. And then, you know, a lot of, there's actually a fair number of paleontologists who have at least a little bit of amateur to semi-professional interests in the field. Not so much the interests of being like, you know, the 50 million Bigfoot hunter shows they have out or whatever, but uh, people who actually are trying to bring a degree of science to Uh, some of these areas, especially sea uh, creatures in general, because I think that's probably the most plausible nowadays. Hmm.
2: Interesting. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. As I kind of started looking into some of these things, where sea monster myths may have come from, it seemed like a lot of them were probably related to the giant squid, or the ore things that look like monsters legitimately. Um, if you see them in the wild, I just wonder wow. from a crypto point of view, because there's a lot of really bad pop science out there in the world, as I'm sure you're very aware. And then, especially if you start thinking, talking about stuff like cryptids, you're really getting into a shaky scientific ground, probably a lot of the time, but I just wonder how reasonable is it that any of these kind of mythological creatures, could exist in any form like is it is it even within the realm of possibility to kind of joke around about in a fun way or is it just like ridiculous to even consider well i guess let me start with it that i think if you talk to most marine biologists
4: and ask them are there undiscovered species in the ocean and even if you ask them if there are large undiscovered species in the ocean i think you have almost unanimous agreement that yes there is these may not necessarily accord to, with what, you know, the sea serpents and krakens and all those things, but we are recovering on a regular basis. Uh, so I'm most familiar, of course, with whales. And so just to give you some examples of things that we're still finding. So we have a um, baleen whale and baleen whales are sort of the big filter feeding whales. So these are um, animals like your humpbacks, your blue whales. So probably most listeners kind of know roughly what those look like. So we're still finding new species of those. In uh, about 2003, they actually described a new species of baleen whale called Omura's whale from kind of the Philippines, Eastern, South Pacific region. And, you know, this is a whale that's, you know, 30 feet long. So it's not a small animal. Right. Um, then we have beaked whales, which, um, you know, there's been multiple species that have been discovered within my lifetime. So... 1991, we found the pygmy pe- beaked whale, which lives off Peru. And then in 2002, we described another species of pe- uh, beaked whale off California called Perrin's beaked whale. And then just last year, they described a new beaked whale off of Alaska and Hokkaido, um, which is Stato's uh, beaked whale. Which beaked whales, I mean, some of the, the first two I mentioned are not super huge as far as whales go, but the Stato's beaked whale, that's a 20 foot long animal. And it's a social 20 foot long animal. So it's not like, it's just hanging out by its lonesome. You know, you have schools of these. And so you get, we know, and there's also just this whole thing where there's lots of parts of the ocean that are not very well surveyed. people point to the deep sea and the deep sea is we can get into that later. If you want, the deep sea is not a terribly great place to live. It's basically a a desert. That's why you get a lot of these weird adaptations. Again, we can talk about later. Um, But places like the tropics are not really well, like people go and look at the coral reefs, but they don't really look at offshore waters. Um, Mm. So I know that there was a, um, I think it's hoses dolphin. And it was assumed to be a super rare species. And then once you had basically these tuna fishing boats that were going into these tropical offshore waters, they were finding schools of, you know, tens of thousands of these dolphins. So this animal that we had only a few skulls of Mm. is found to be like a super abundant animal. We're just not going into our habitat. So all this stuff also applies to sharks. There have been new manta rays, new large sharks, all sorts of other fish. We found new seabirds. So just uh, like maybe a decade ago, they described a new seabird from Hawaii of all places. And you know, seabirds are not living under the water. They're flapping around. So we're finding stuff all the time and there's just giant chunks of the globe um, that are not surveyed well. Um, because a lot of times what we know about whale biology we get from strandings and we get a lot of people recording stranded material in places that are, you know, developed countries that have stranding networks. They're not gonna have those sort of complicated networks in places like Indonesia or Saudi Arabia or all of those. So right. I know I personally have seen undescribed species of whale in museum collections. Um there's a Another baleen whale that was stranded in North Carolina that almost everyone thinks is a new species, but no one has gotten around to really doing the work to kind of describe it and illustrate it. And, you know, I've heard there's some, there's a strong anecdotal account of these brown orcas that were, a pot of these were seen off of um, Saudi Arabia where we don't have orcas. So, presumably, they are probably a new species out there that we don't know anything about. And in fact, the other day I read they just found like the longest creature on Earth, which is this, um, it's 150 feet long in the deep sea. It's a Siphonophore, which basically is a big string of slime. They're kind of distant relatives to jellyfish. And so I think this is why also so many scientists who are interested in cryptology, why they kind of, they um, lean toward these sort of marine cryptids because it seemed the most likely for something weird to show up. Now. Of course, the you know the catch here is that almost all of these don't really look like um, the actual mythological creatures, and we can get into what some of the explanations for the sea serpents are, because um, there's some pretty hilarious explanations for what sea serpents might be. Um, yeah, let's hear it. I'm really interested in that personally. You mentioned like the oarfish, but um, if you've um, Sometimes, you know, people may observe this themselves when they go to the ocean. Sometimes you can get a a group of whales that are basically swimming in a straight line. And if you're far enough away, that line of dolphins that are swimming may look like one single animal. Uh, That's one. And that's where you get sort of this idea where sea serpents have humps. Those humps are probably different, you know, breaching porpoises or whatever.
2: Oh, interesting. Um,
4: There is a giant squid hypothesis. So you can imagine... If you got a giant squid that is near the surface and it's raising one of its tentacles out, it's going to kind of look like, you know, a plesiosaur, like, you know, it's long, thin things sticking out of the water. You might guess that um, it's not a squid, but a sea serpent. And there are several sightings that are um, seem like they are probably of giant squid. Giant squid don't come up to the surface very often. When they do, they're usually sick. So sometimes you'll get these mass stranding events where over a year... A ton of them just wash ashore. But otherwise, you don't see them very often. Um, and then my favorite explanation, which is very solid, in which we have actual evidence for. Uh, there's several sightings that, like, if you read them now, knowing this, they're very obvious. But um, another common mis- uh, mistaken identity for sea serpents is actually uh, whale penises. Really? Um, <laughs> um, so what? most Holy people don't whale penises are elastic. And so you imagine if you're a big sea animal, you have no legs. You're trying to mate with a female. So they will – these very long prehensile penises will kind of sort of flop around and try to find, you know, exactly where to go. And so you get these sort of like – there are these stories of people observing these battles between like sperm whales and other whales with like these sea monsters. And it's like if you're reading them now knowing about that, it's pretty obvious that there was not – it was definitely sort of more of a love than war situation. Hmm. But um, you can find, <laughs> wow. you can find footage, footage and pictures of this online. And if you didn't know about whale biology, you wouldn't know what the hell you were looking at there. Because they don't really <laughs> look like anything Jeez. that you expect.
2: I don't know what you think about the oarfish, but I, I had never really seen one before. And I was looking it up and there are literally photos of 30 people. Like a line of thirty people holding an oarfish, like it's that long, where men like who appear to be like in the navy are shoulder to shoulder holding this oarfish. And the cool thing about it to me, because I because my friend is making this movie about the Bear Lake monster, I'm reading some of those like historical accounts of the Bear Lake monster where people talk about well it's scaly, but other people say no, it had hair. The oarfish is kind of something like that, where it's really long and looks kind of like a reptile but also has like kind of bright spiky elements on the top of it that look almost like hair and i don't know it's it just seemed interesting as a potential sea monster or sea serpent
4: yeah i mean there is you can actually there are some um, nordic tales of sea serpents that if you read them they're almost certainly are or fish because they're described basically as these horse necked and headed, which I don't really know how you get horse that aspect, but they described as having this bright red mane on their back. And besides orfish, you get things like the frilled shark, which is a very much a serpentine, more shark that's a deep sea and relatively rare. And, you know, maybe there's big versions of those out in the ocean. You know, we might rarely ever see them. You know. Well,
2: when that's you obviously- mentioned the horse head, maybe that's where I want to ask you to go next with your paleontology background. Is there any chance that these are like plesiosaurs or any kind of like leftover dinosaur that's out there that we don't know about. Um, So this is sort of an interesting thing. So
4: um, uh, there was a study that was, I think it got published, but um, I don't remember the exact specifics. So I may be getting this wrong. I didn't have time to look it up. Um, But there is some evidence just that when the public started learning about, um, you know, about, plesiosaurs and stuff, you start getting a change in how some of these things are described. Interesting. So you start getting more plesiosaur-looking things. If you go to the older records, they don't really look much like that. And it's strange that it's always plesiosaurs, which already were kind of at low diversity before dinosaurs, before the mm-hmm. big and Cretaceous extinction. There's also a thing where like science marches on, so a lot of times you'll have these popular conceptions of what things look like, and those carry in into cryptozoology so that people are reporting these and now we know oh that doesn't actually look anything like that and so um you get early on there were a lot of land sightings of Loch Ness monsters so people would see it crossing the road and some of these descriptions (laughs) sound like a um but and I might be again this is I'm not a sea reptile person but I believe this is what the current evidence is but it looks like they may have been able to and again I hopefully not, i'm not getting this wrong because uh, there's been several other groups that do the same thing but uh there's some evidence i believe now that they actually probably gave birth to live young and they probably couldn't really move on land so if they tried to be on land they'd probably suffocate um some of the earlier species probably could still do that they were probably kind of more seal-like but these big plesiosaurs everyone thinks about probably were not moving on land but you still get people reporting them and then you get things like when people report Parasaur, like pterodactyl type things, they're describing these sort of bat-like, you know, scaly creatures, yeah. and now we know they're covered in fur, and they probably would not have looked very bat-like at all, but people have that sort of, those early ideas of what they look like pop culture, and that's informing.
2: So system. taking the probability out of it, but keeping a little bit of your scientific hat on, if uh, if the Loch Ness Monster, as described, existed what do you think it could be like what in the fossil record or that we know about is most closely related to how people describe the Loch Ness monster with the Loch Ness monster specifically, it's hard for me
4: to think of because that the lake itself is not geologically old. Um, right. So Interesting. If they ever gotten to the lake would have had to get into the lake during with some of the, uh, during an interglacial period. Um, so you couldn't have had something just hanging out in the lake for 20, 30 million years. Great. Um, so I had to little, cross
2: the road. Yeah. Uh, That's um, why the Loch Ness monster crossed the road. <laughs> I mean, there is another hypothesis
4: for why So, at least some of these sightings are believed to actually be seals. Because um, we do know gray seals have actually been reported in um, the Ness River. And they can get pretty far upstream. And yeah. if you're not expecting a seal and you're primed for a sea monster, you can see that. Seals get often mistaken for things. Uh, the bunyip almost certainly started off as a leopard seal. In fact, there's a local coastal Aboriginal group that their name for the leopard seal, because leopard seals regularly show up in Australia. Uh, so they'd be something familiar to the um, local population. Um, so that coastal group, their name for leopard seal is Bunyip. And then it's a game of telephone. The more further inland you go, the less familiar people have with it and the more kind of these fantastical features it develops. Going back, I mean, when I was really a cryptid geek, I think I always favored. The idea that maybe Loch Ness was a the Loch Ness monster or those similar lake monsters might be giant eels because we do know that, you know, sometimes eels, if they're trapped and they're not migrating back and out to sea, they can sometimes continue to live and grow larger and mm-hmm. they can be, they can be pretty prehistoric looking. And then um, the other idea I've always had was like a giant turtle. Cause um, if you think about it, a turtle is pretty, you know, you get turtles with long necks and they got the big sort of like bulky round body and, little paddle fins so if you don't notice there's a distinct shell you can kind of imagine someone could mistake a plesiosaur for that i personally don't think there's much anything i the loch ness monster i think is um not the most plausible of things
2: have you ever looked into the bear lake monster just out of curiosity is that in utah it is yeah it's a lake on the border of idaho and utah and it's one of the oldest lakes in north america maybe the oldest lake in north america it's got a bunch of endemic species that only live just in that lake and nowhere else. It's very deep f- for how small it is. Like, it's it's not big compared to, like, the Great Lakes. It's pretty big, but it's it's deeper than most of its size. And the first white person accounting of this goes back to 1868, and... Um, According to that person who wrote the article in the newspaper back in 1868, who had interviewed a bunch of locals, he also spoke to people from the Shoshone, Native American tribe in that area, and said that they had uh, legends about this monster in the specific lake going back far before that. And um, one of the interesting things about it is that it's described I, like almost like the way it acts is some more similar to how a crocodile might behave where it talks about how a lot of the people are pulled from the shore into the water. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, but people have described it as being like 50 feet long and, you know, and and having humps and, you know, all of those types of things as well. I know it's always, it's not described so much as a Nessie like creature,
4: but yeah, usually I'm familiar with it. Usually people either say it's a crocodile like thing, or it might be one of these early whale groups. My gut would say there's probably sturgeon is probably somewhere in the explanation. Cause, uh, we know that people tend to mistake sturgeon for monsters because they really? are really good ancient looking. And uh, yeah. if you don't know what a sturgeon is, it's good and you see one floating up near your boat. they'll sometimes sun um, close to the surface, you would immediately think like it's some sort of reptilian monster because they have these big bony armor and everything. So sturgeon are one possibility I can hmm, see. Interesting. Um, we also find basically there's this horned serpent motif. If you look across basically all of North America, almost every group has these sort of magical horn serpents usually living in the water. So it's a very – I don't know what the exact origins of that is. It might be also kind of – Quetzalcoatl may be like a distant relative, like mythologically sprung up from that kind of shared belief system. Um, right. Things that are maybe are responsible for lake monsters are probably not the same things that are responsible for sea monsters. Interesting. And- they were always the sort of the thing I liked the most because they were the most dinosaur-like and it seemed like there was more variety in them, but you know, there's been a decline in sightings for a lot of these, even though at the same time we're getting more and more people with cameras. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's harder for me to maintain belief versus, you know, something in part more of these tropical areas that maybe are not getting as much human contact or things that are out at sea. The deep ocean can be, because it's such a weird alien environment when basically when everything goes to hell, you know, the surface, when those ecosystems collapse deep down, they don't feel that as much. Um, so you could have things from these older periods of time kind of hang around down there that would have that went extinct on the surface. You know, the classic example, I don't know if we brought it up last time, is of course the coelacan that was found in Madagascar. Before no. it was discovered, it was assumed they had gone extinct, I think like a hundred million years before. And so they found this animal, um, it wasn't the same species as the fossils it was like a different species but ichthyologists when they found this basically kind of lost their mind like it's like oh my god you
2: know and
4: then just a decade or two ago they found another population of celiacans and amnesia that were a completely different species and so there's a potential for some of these some ancient survivors hanging in that down there the so documentation should be going up basically for that area yeah yeah that's the that's the biggest issue and cryptozoology always seems to other than giant squid they seem to always focus on the less plausible options instead of like you know unnecessarily so we always are finding new species but they're never really matching anything in cryptozoology or or at least mainstream cryptozoology there's occasionally you'll get the obscure reference to something um like it'll be like a you know paragraph in some some book by carl schuber or whatever but you know, we're not finding. We still haven't found a really new apes, and we haven't found a plausible giant sea serpent thing.
2: Well, we, you need to help us get our aquatic serpent people out to Bear Lake so we can investigate. Yeah, you know, I will lead the expedition. <laughs> we'll go. We'll go find this thing.
4: Yeah, if it is like a giant crocodile, I wouldn't that would be like? Because Nessie's always portrayed as like kind of nice and friendly. I can't imagine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I want to be. I don't think I want to be proven wrong by being dragged into a lake and like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Death Hold. Yes. Um I watched some of those movies the other day. And one thing I'm kind of struck by, even though we're talking about like all these real life animals, you know, a lot of those movies don't have any like don't use that at all. They're always like mutants or aliens. <laughs>
2: yeah, right? Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was really surprised. We talked about this um just before you got on, but in my mind there are all these sea monster movies because we're so familiar with kind of, you know, the these sea legends going back, but really there are very few that actually have like a sea, like a, a sea monster, the way we generally think of them, you know, like a big tentacled or, or dragon, like serpent, like creature. There's really not a lot of movies that deal with that at all, which is interesting.
4: Even though these movies strangely do not use it to their full ability. I right. mean, things like viperfish viper fish and swallowers and gulper eels. And so there's like, you don't need to like, there's plenty of things that are probably even more monstrous than like the classical sea monster out there. So um we just need to get some inventive folks to uh go and you know make us a giant monster viper fish and or at least make one that's not a sci-fi, <laughs> I should say. Um <laughs>
2: Well, you've dashed all my cryptozoological hopes, but in the most fun way possible. So thank you for bringing that to the table today. appreciate it.
0: Well, speaking of uh, movies that uh, may or may not be plausible, I guess we'll find out in the review. Uh, You guys wanna move along to the feature review for Underwater from 2020.
2: Listen carefully. You are now 5,000 miles from land and you're descending seven miles to the bottom of the ocean. See you all in a month.
0: Here we go. All we're gonna do this, let's do this. One to ten, how bad's my rig?
3: Ten. We drilled to the bottom of the ocean, and we don't know what came
2: out.
1: Gotta get to the station.
2: How did we even get there?
1: We walk up.
4: We just going a walk with insufficient oxygen across the bottom of the ocean. You don't know what's out there.
0: Worst idea ever! What was that? Turn your lights
4: off.
3: What is that? What is that?
1: What is happening?
0: There's something following us. So Underwater from 2020. Uh, it's about a crew of oceanic researchers working for a deep sea drilling company. They try to get to safety after a mysterious earthquake devastates their deep water research and drilling facility located at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. That is according to IMDB. Now, uh, full disclosure, I haven't seen this movie in about two months because again, I thought maybe I was going to do it for Frankensteinian. And then Josh, uh, so delicately reminded me, uh, dude, we were going to cover that in, uh, Um, a Monsters of the Deep type uh, episode. So I was like, oh, yeah. So I almost watched it again today, but watched the Meg instead because I had not seen that yet. And my kids uh, opted for that one. So Underwater was directed by William Eubank. I don't know if there's anything else that Mr. Eubank has done that uh, you guys are familiar with. The signal sounds familiar to me, but I don't think I saw it.
2: I thought The Signal was fantastic. He also directed Tom DeLong's Air- Angels and Airwaves film, which, yeah, he's. I really like him. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think I saw The Signal, but I don't. I saw it a long time ago. I don't remember a whole lot of it.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: enough to it's give it a answer. hugely underrated or underseen film. I think it's
0: fantastic. And of course, it stars Kristen Stewart. Uh, and. It's funny because I sort of I guess fall into a middle camp with with her. A, a lot of people there. There's some people that just can't get past the Twilight stuff, and you know, and they have their their bones to pick. The few things I've seen her in, I always enjoy her, so I I don't really have an issue with her. I, I liked her quite a bit in this actually, in in her sort of Ripley esque role. It was quite enjoyable. You've also got Vincent Cassel, T J. Miller, and a few other folks. So. Uh, mad zoologist. I'd like to kick it over to you because you, being the one that actually has some knowledge, to say the least, of this world, and, and you made a comment earlier that you felt like underwater got some things right. Uh, so, what, mm-hmm. what did you think about the movie, though, as far as far as uh, that went?
4: Yeah, so I went in there with low expectations, and so I found myself actually really, really um, entertained by it. Um, um, I think it's a fairly simple story like kind of like with deep star six it's basically a good chunk of it is a disaster movie although it's more of a creature-induced uh disaster um i like the fact that another element that always gets left out of these movies is that there's a very strong Lovecraftian element um to the to the monsters and to the scenario that is absent a lot of these films which i just like it just like i am a huge hp lovecraft fan all the cosmic horror stuff is my is one of my big favorite things. And so when I see that pop up in a movie that I'm not expecting it in, that's also going to make me really happy. Um, And uh, yeah, I really, I enjoyed the movie. Um, I think there there's bits and pieces here. I wasn't a huge fan of Um, some of the action stuff got really hard to follow the way it was shot, but I also think it probably was pretty realistic. It's a lot of these movies, like, They look like they're filmed in a swimming pool. (laughs) This one actually feels like it's on the bottom of the ocean. So I really appreciate that. Um, Yes, those are my initial rambling thoughts. Dave,
1: what about you? You know what? I I enjoyed the film as well. And, And one of the things I liked about it was it just, it kicks off. The action happens. The earthquake happens within the first three minutes. Yeah. Of the movie. I mean, I guess I think we get a brief scene with, um, you know, Kristen Stewart's character sort of in the bathroom brushing her teeth, I guess, at the end of the day. And then all of a sudden, boom, uh, it's happening. So there's not any the, the, the building of the characters happens while they're bonding and trying to get through this situation where, you know, It's move or die. I mean, they have to get from this location to that location that location. And then it's just ratcheted up right from the beginning. So I enjoyed that. I kind of liked how they took that way to sort of get you familiar with the characters, how they interact with each other, that they're trying to help each other, you know, through this situation. And then as it builds with the monster I enjoyed that as well, because you don't get an idea of what they're really up against until the very end. I did I enjoyed it, and Kristen Stewart, I think, has been uh, much better recently. She was good in Lizzie, which she was in recently, the the Lizzie Borden film uh, and really good in personal shopper from a from a few years ago. I thought she was excellent in that movie as well, and I was impressed with her performance in uh in this film also
0: yeah as as was I. I remember when I saw the trailer for this and I want to say it would have been the tail end of last year, somewhere in there. And I feel, I don't know if I'm in a minority of people that do this horror fans in particular, but when I see a trailer for a movie like this and I see it's going to be released in January, there's a part of me, the pseudo intellectual want to be like ha 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 about everything that goes oh boy a january release but the bigger part of me it's like hope springs eternal (laughs) it's like you just never know so many movies that get
4: delayed
0: or they get released in january like that's the dumping ground but every once in a while i have found myself enjoying that one movie that came out in january that so many other people hated
1: i didn't hate yeah and and i was hoping that this movie would be that as well and you know, January and February are dumping grounds. There's no doubt. About, I mean, they, they historically they've been dumping grounds. Now Cloverfield changed that up a bit yes. because that was released in January by design. And, you know, was, uh, I thought was, was a great movie. I really enjoy Cloverfield. So it's, it's not. And, and they're, they're always backing up the summer season. I mean, we're getting you know, the, the blockbuster films in March now. So it's not as much of a dumping ground. So I, I, Kind of keep a little bit of hope, but historically, that's always been the way it was. You're right, Joel. It's been yeah. January, February. It's like, okay, here, we'll just throw these here until we get to the summer and then get to the award season and, and whatnot. I kind of have the same thing. Like, oh, it's a January release too, which is like, if it come out in March, then it would be, you know, or April. But um,
4: yeah, I think the trend now is going away because, you know, Black Panther was a February release. Sure, sure.
0: But for me underwater, I got to be honest with you. I, I went in with sort of... I was hoping, but my expectations were set at a reasonable level. I also did love the fact that it had very loud echoes of Leviathan, Deep Star Six, and Alien, obviously. And I love all of those movies. So I was like, okay, this, this has to at least be mildly entertaining at the very least. But I was pleasantly surprised. like, I really enjoyed it. It's not... Earth-shattering, you know, uh, the earthquake aside, it is not um, groundbreaking necessarily, but without giving too much away, the Lovecraftian illusions were awesome. And the the fact that it moves at such a great pace, it's a nice just hour and a half horror film. It doesn't overstay its welcome. I mean, there's a couple of parts that maybe drag just a smidgen, but for the most part, it's just kind of like you said, Dave... First three minutes, it's in the trailer. Like, that's how the trailer pretty much starts. What you see there, that is the opening of the movie. And it's just like, bam, you're right in it. And I found myself engaged. I liked the characters. I had a hard time getting past how much T.J. Miller, I, I swore like, through half the movie. I was like, did Gary Busey have another son that was in movies? Because, dude, <laughs> right. does he remind me of Jake Busey? Uh, <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> um Uh, But other than
4: that, I was all in. I really liked it. I loved the ending. I mean, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, T.J. Miller was definitely being T.J. Miller in that movie. Um, So he kind of stood out from like... I I like that he brought a little bit of levity, but it's still kind of compared to some of the other characters in there. Um,
2: I'm wondering if he's actually the reason it got dumped because he went through his whole Like Me Too situation, right, as this movie was about to come out i wonder if that oh, really i didn't to... i
4: didn't even know about that well it's also the whole fox merger thing right this is one of the things that, oh, I okay. well,
2: that makes more sense actually but he like had his big split from his tv show what's it called uh, silicon valley and then he had his a big me too thing you know accusation that he did he and his wife denied had happened when he was in college well, then, he, then he then he called a fake bomb bomb threat into you <laughs> that's <around> right time. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, it's too bad. I I really liked him when I when I first started like following his comedy, but he apparently has turned into like a megalomaniac over the years. So it's unfortunate.
1: Hmm.
2: Well, uh, that aside,
0: (laughs) I Mm -hmm. I guess I'm kind of glad I didn't know all that going in because yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah. It was it was I uh, I would be I'm really interested, Josh, for you to see it because my bet is you'll like it. It moves at a clip. It's not it's not something that you've never seen before. It's not breaking into new ground by any stretch. But it was I, th- I thought, you know, to your point, uh, at about, you know, some of the action was a little bit hard to follow. But overall, though, it was very well shot. I mean, it was just a very uh, good looking movie. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just really have no real complaints. So I, I, if you guys have any other final thoughts about uh, Underwater,
1: we could do ratings or recommendations. There were moments when it was a little difficult, you know, with the creatures. They were sort of keeping them hidden a little bit. Um, not so much hidden, but you didn't, what am I trying to say, like like sort of the rapid cuts uh, with the creatures. And I thought they might have done that a little too much, and it got a little bit... Uh, uh, jarring, I guess, is the is the best way to put it. And I wanted to see more of the creatures than I did towards the the beginning to to the middle of the film. But then it sort of made up for that at the end, and I kind of forgot that whole thing. But I was sort of getting a little bit of frustration with that, you know, uh, in the first half of the film. I'd say,
4: um, I um actually, I really like the kind of the way they've been they did the monsters. I think I've seen. I feel like there's a tendency more to get to the monster early. And I think that kind of, especially with films like this, it kind of hurts the movie. Um, I think it's sometimes better to put them in suspense. My biggest mm. probably beef with the movie is, um, is again, I think some of the scenes when they're out in the water, sometimes it's a little hard to follow what's going on. And mm. it's one of those things where like, on one hand, I like the fact that it kind of is a little bit, cause it's like, it feels like, you know, it's kind of this almost Blair Witch effect where you're just sort of, you're with them and you don't know where, where, whatever the danger is coming from. On the other hand, it just makes things a little more distracting and hard to follow. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I really like the movie, but it's it's such a direct point A to B, like, it's hard to find like a lot of things to like really talk about. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> no, that's a fair statement. And I think... That's if you got
0: to have a knock on the movie, that's it. It's just a very straightforward. I mean, there, there's nothing. I mean, aside from again, with like, I mean, I don't want to give it away, but I guess there's a reveal by the end. But if you've seen pretty much any underwater slash, you know, monster type movie of, of this ilk, you you've seen this movie. But that said, <laughs> within that subgenre. It is a fun movie. I don't use the guilty pleasure. I think I've made clear mention of that. But I feel like this movie, for people who do use that phrase, <laughs> this this could uh, this could be that movie for you. But I could see somebody thinking maybe it's a bit bland. Like it's just, it it is lacking something. However, for me, it wasn't lacking enough for me to not enjoy it. Like it was never, like I never felt bored. I never felt like it was dull. It was always entertaining enough to me. And I, I liked the directions it did go into. So um, yeah, I think uh, for me, underwater is a solid uh, 7.5. I'm going to give, I'm going to go up 7.5 7. out of 10. And I say definitely should rent it. I'm sure eventually it'll be on netflix hulu or somewhere but rent it if you get a chance
1: dave yeah i would i'm right there with you i'd say 7.5 and uh it's worth a rental it's worth seeing absolutely mad citologist
4: um i'm gonna go ahead and um give it an eight i'd say if you like creature features if you like lovecraft um if you like survival horror i think it's definitely worth watching um especially if you love the, those, that 1989-90 period because it's very much a modern kind of reinvention of the movies that were there. Mm. Um, so I'd say eight. I'd say if you like this, buy it, but it's probably not the, the most essential
2: purchase. Interesting. I, I really feel like this is going to appeal to me based on what you guys have said.
1: Yep.
0: Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing your, your thoughts so, on it. I think so, yeah. All right. Well, then that wraps up our feature review of Underwater from 2020. So thank you so much, MadSatologist, for joining us and helping us review underwater. And uh, I can, I will only speak for myself, but help helping me feel a little bit smarter because that was a lot of awesome information. Uh, so thank you very much for being here. And I don't know if there's anywhere you want to tell people, like as far as finding you online or anything like that, if there's if there's
4: anything like that you want to mention. The best place if you want to stay in contact with me, I guess, would be uh, i um review lots and lots of movies on um, the uh, letterboxd i'm the mad cytologist. i pretty much watch like a movie a day and i review them there um they're, they're often typo written uh <laughs> sometimes i'm writing them while i'm half falling asleep but uh you can follow me there if you ever have questions on marine mammal evolution or whales or anything uh feel free to look me up on uh my at the university of wisconsin oshkosh i'm in the biology department my contact information is there as well
2: and we'll put the link to your letterbox in the show notes. And and if there are any papers or anything you want to pass on to our listeners, I could put I could put links to that as well. If I, if
4: I come up
2: anything, I might post those in the uh, comment section. Okay, yeah, cool.
4: Awesome. Thank
2: you. So check out the comments at horrormoviepodcast.com. Hey, thank you so much. Yes, thank a long you, time long the show. And um, you've always been a supporter of what we do, and so it's always cool when we can get a listener on who's so well-versed in the topic we're All discussing right. well, that you can really
4: school hey. us like, today. I am more happy to, um, please, if you ever do decide to cover Orca, please bring me (laughs) out.
0: Thank you so much. All right. We are now going to do our shutter sponsored screaming online segment.
2: All right, welcome to our Shudder-sponsored Screaming Online segment. Shudder is a premium streaming video service. It has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment online. That's why we like to call it the Netflix for Horror. On Shudder, you can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense films, uncut and commercial-free, with exclusive and original titles you won't find anywhere else. You can start your free trial today, risk-free, and by using our coupon code, you can extend your regular seven day trial to a 30 day free trial, no strings attached. You'll have unlimited access to stream ad free on your Apple devices, Android devices, Xbox, Amazon Fire, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. Make sure to check out these exclusive titles currently available on Shutter. There's Greg Nicotero's Creep Show, a Shutter original series that is available in its totality in season one currently they've also greenlit season two which had to go on hiatus due to covid but because they were enjoying what they had so much they actually greenlit the scripts for season three so so much more of that is coming to you season one of cursed films which if you don't know what that is go check out one of our previous episodes about two episodes back we interviewed the director and covered the entire first season great series the deadlands based on a Modi-language film from New Zealand. Uh, That was a feature film. This is a Shudder original series. Shudder has so much good stuff to check out. It'll keep you busy all summer. For this show in particular, there are three titles I'd recommend. Humanoids from the Deep, a schlocky Roger Corman romp, Cold Skin, which Dave and Joel have actually previously reviewed on a Screaming Online segment. And the one I'm going to talk about tonight, The Siren from 2019. It's directed by Perry Blackshear, and if you don't know who he is, I bet most of you will have heard of his first film, Perry directed They Look Like People, which was a pretty upsetting indie film from a few years back. I wanted to talk about the Siren because it's one of the monsters from the deep that we didn't cover on this episode. Traditionally depicted as some kind of winged monster in Greek mythology, I believe. A lot of our lore around the Siren is now more closely tied to mermaids, but essentially these beautiful creatures that lure you to your death and are very deadly and very beautiful. And that... Tradition carries on in this film. Uh, From the Shudder synopsis, Tom rents a cabin on a secluded lake marked by a local legend of a lovelorn spirit who haunts the surrounding woods and drowns anyone she encounters. Drawn to her immediately, Tom knows he has found his soulmate in the seemingly human Nina, who must battle to repress her demonic instincts when she feels the same towards him. Meanwhile, a man possessed by vengeance circles the pair, getting ever closer to tracking down the monster that murdered his husband. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Basically, this guy, he goes to stay at this friend's lake house, and soon the siren starts coming closer and closer to him, taunting him, and she starts to fall in love with him. But meanwhile, the next-door neighbor has had a previous terrible encounter with a siren where she took his husband and ate him. <laughs> so uh, Margaret Ying Drake plays the siren in question. McLeod Andrews is the neighbor next door who is hunting the siren. And Evan DuMichel is the young man falling in love with the siren. And I really enjoyed this movie. It's like a low-key indie film a lot of it's silent but it's beautifully shot it's a cool take on an old tale definitely a slow burn so it's not going to be for everybody but i think if you enjoy a slow burn if you love that kind of like low-key indie take on a film it's very lyrical i think it's a high recommendation honestly for me i'm going to come in at an eight on this one i don't know that it would have made my top 10 of 2019 if i'd seen it last year but it had been closed. It might have been an honorable mention for me. So I would definitely recommend, if you feel like a siren tale, check out this one. The Siren from 2019, available on Shutter. To try Shutter free for 30 days, go to shutter.com and use promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com and promo code H-M-P. Now, back to this very long episode. All right now it is time for some giveaways we're super excited i want to thank our sponsors at universal for providing so many copies of this jaws 45th anniversary limited edition 4k ultra hd blu-ray this is steven spielberg's creepsure masterpiece coming to 4k hd for the first time ever It includes three hours of bonus content, including the making of Jaws, deleted scenes, and outtakes from the set, and much more. There's also limited edition packaging and a 44-page booklet with introductions, rare photos, storyboards, and more from the archives. We asked you to go to HorrorMoviePodcast.com or respond to our tweet with your favorite aquatic horror film. Sharks, sea monsters, whatever scares you from the deep blue sea. We're going to read some of those responses now and then pick at random some winners. Barely Ashley says, Creature over sharks, don't at me. Greg Bench says, Creature is awesome, but Bruce is my bud. Even Fortnite has inspiration. Shane the Maniac says, Jaws, Jaws, and Jaws, the goat of aquatic horror. Dark Mark says, Jaws is definitely my favorite shark movie. Also, I like The Reef, The Meg, 47 Meters Down, Bait, Ghost Shark 2, Urban Jaws, and the Jaws sequels. Many, 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 many entries for Jaws here. Matt Rawlings and Raul both say Deep Blue Sea. Fiendish Fitz says Sharkenstein. Our friends at Attack of the Killer podcast said really loved Underwater. Hell of a ride. Eric Yvonne says outside of Jaws, Jaws 2 and The Reef. Maurice Jones mentioned he saw Double Bill uh, the night previous of Jurassic Park and Jaws at his local drive-in, which is awesome. Andrew Sidlick says... The Shallows, and though it doesn't hold a candle to Jaws, there's been another Peter Benchley TV movie adaptation called The Beast, about a giant squid. Trey Whetstone says, I was also thinking about The Beast just the other day. I remember being really excited and recording both parts on VHS when it aired. Armored Foe says, Of course Jaws is a given, i definitely say The Shallows, and not sure if it counts, but what about Deep Rising? Oh... Joel says it counts. More jaws, more jaws, and more jaws. Jordan Ferrero says, Does the host count? And yes, it absolutely does, Jordan. I used to wear 21 says orca. Jeff Bulkley says, Sharknado, it's a twister with sharks. Jay Skinner says, How Shark 2017. Oliver Ox says, It can't be anything but Jaws. I watched it when I was six years old and didn't go in the ocean again until I was 30 because of how much it terrified me. Now, I've been face-to-face with a great white and conquered my fear, but shark movies still always freak me out. Good job conquering your fear there, Oliver. Terracard says, Shark Exorcist is a gem, which I find hard to believe, and Maxwell James says, I know this movie is kind of cheesy, but I thought Shark Knight 3D was really fun, as well as Bait 3D. So, Maxwell likes the 3D movies. <laughs> Horror fan Ryan throwing in some love for the Reef. Gen M throwing in some love for the Abyss, Underwater, Piranha, Crawl, and the Fog. Crawl and the Fog are two we didn't mention. I like the inclusion of those. Greg Mortis mentions 47 Meters Down Uncaged had some tense moments. Deep Blue Sea, the Meg was surprisingly good. Several more Jaws mentions. And Phantom Galaxy says, still gotta be Jaws but love some Deep Blue Sea. And there's a couple of good Aussie Sharks in the Reef and Bait. We definitely agree. On the other end, there's the last shark. If it's all things aquatic horror, going with Creature from the Black Lagoon, Leviathan, and Harryhausen's Sextopus in It Came from Beneath the Sea. Sextopus <laughs> meaning it uh, has six legs instead of eight. Thank you, Phantom Galaxy. Ash to Ashes says, Bait 3D, also love Sharknado, don't judge. Kane says the only shark movie I'd rate highly after Jaws and Jaws 2 is The Reef. I've seen pretty much every other shark movie, and I think they are all either completely garbage or just barely treading water at best. Very clever there, Kane. Mayor of Nilbog gives another shout-out to Shark Knight 3D. Crash Overhead says Jaws 3 had to be my very favorite, but mainly because that was the first film that I was old enough to watch at the movies. Plus, it has Louis Gus Jr., and who doesn't love that guy? I don't know. Several more Jaws. James V. says, As much as I love Jaws, Creature from the Black Lagoon is my favorite water-related horror, or The Fog. Chuck Madsen adds Jaws of Death, which nobody else has mentioned yet. Gareth M. says, I got to see Jaws on the big screen last year and it made an even bigger impact on me than previous home viewings. Why won't cinemas run classics on the big screen? What I wouldn't give to see my favorites at the movies. Honestly, 30 more entries for Jaws. And then Tarvish V says, Not one mentioned ghost ship? Shame. So from about 79 entries on Twitter and a half dozen at horrormoviepodcast.com, we are going to select some winners. And those winners are Nisu S, Josh L, Dave B, Joel R., and Shame the Maniac, all of you will be getting the Jaws 4K Blu-ray. We also are going to give away three digital copies of this 45th anniversary edition of Jaws. You can either go to the show notes for this episode and tell us what your favorite film was that we mentioned from these Leviathans from the Deep. Or you can go on iTunes and leave us a review, and we'll draw those on our next Frankensteinian episode. We're also giving away one digital copy of Underwater... Same rules apply. Let us know what your favorite Leviathan from the Deep is on horrormoviepodcast.com in the show notes, or leave us a review on iTunes. Winner will be drawn from those two places. Of course, we appreciate a five-star review, but it is not necessary in order to win the prize. (laughs) And that's it. Thanks again to Universal for providing the Blu-rays. Thanks to everyone who responded, and we look forward to giving away four more Aquatic Horror prizes on the next episode. Good job, guys. You earned it.
0: We love reading and responding to your comments, so we hope you'll get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can find this and all of our past episodes. Be sure to follow Wolfman Josh on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at IcarusArts. Wolfman also appears on the Gods and Monsters podcast, as do Dave Becker and yours truly you can follow gods and monsters at monsters cast on twitter and you can find dr shock at dvd infatuation.com and on twitter at DVDInfatuation. and of course you can also hear him on the fantastic land of the creeps podcast and be sure to also check out his excellent youtube channel a link will be available to that in the show notes for this episode and I can be found at RetroMovieGeek.com and on Twitter at RetroMovieGeek. Full disclosure, that's not me. That's Peter that's responding to you. But it's there. It's a thing. <laughs> so you can find us there. Also, ForgottenFlix.com and Terror on the Tube, where we cover made for TV horror movies from the 70s, 80s and uh, very rarely but occasionally the 90s and we are joined by Allison the Horror Unicorn and it's it's Peter and myself and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It comes out once a month or so but it's a great time so uh, definitely check us out there. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Movie Cast. And if you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. You can get your listener designed HMP t-shirts at horror movie forward slash store you can also become a patron of movie podcast network for only two dollars and fifty cents at patreon.com forward slash movie podcast network and also do not forget to try shutter free for 30 days just go to shutter.com and use the promo code hmp when signing up that's dot rcom and the promo code hmp We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. And and I would also say our experience from last year <laughs> with the shark episode and uh, sure, and, how, yeah. and how that went. Yeah, she so. said
1: not not too many great ones came out this year. weren't too many great ones last year. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, I seem to remember when you guys reviewed it, Josh. I remember you were underwhelmed. Dave, I feel mm-hmm. like you kind of liked it. Am I remembering that right?
1: No, I don't think I was part of that review. You were part of that
0: review? Okay.
1: At least I hope at least I hope not because I've never seen the mag. So I hope okay. I didn't review <laughs> it. Wow. Never mind. I retract. So you did. You kinda liked it then.
0: Uh, and, and, and <laughs>
2: <laughs> But you hear a lot of people say things like, A Bigfoot skeleton, we might not ever find one because if all of the people in North America died in X amount of years, we're likely to only find eight skeletons from this entire population. Like it's really rare to actually find intact skeletons um, from something like this.
4: I think there, I mean, I think you can make an argument that um, the fossil record is definitely very susceptible to not preserving things. Um, especially, you know, if you are the opinion that Bigfoot is really only in the Pacific Northwest because the Pacific Northwest, that wet humid climate is the possibly the worst possible environment you could imagine to preserve a fossil for the future. Uh, oh, if you think they're all over, then you start having problems because, you know, if they're living in Florida and Texas and that, then you'd expect we'd at least find some hominid teeth somewhere. And I think the, a lot of this, and then you start getting into the ecology where like, you know, is there actually the sufficient biomass to support a large population and all these other problems that sometimes face land animals? then you go into the marine and you know it's not uncommon for a marine species to maybe we have one specimen
2: right and also just that we haven't really very few humans have been to the bottom of the ocean a handful of people have actually been down to the bottom of the ocean obviously there are other ways to explore it
4: star six and is the closest i guess underwater i don't know if you talked about that yet but underwater is sort of that at least isn't a mutant or alien
2: yeah. I mean, did you see Sea Fever by any chance this year?
4: I did see Sea Fever um, a couple months ago. So I was I was hoping you folks
2: would talk about it because it actually was a pretty. It's more of a contagion movie, I think, than really. It is. Yeah, um, but there are there are just you know those few shots of this gigantic sea monster that is amazing. I mean, I, you want to see the movie that features that monster. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, want to see the Contagion film, at least right now, because I've seen a lot of Contagion movies lately. And watching Sea Fever, considering how much of
4: that movie has that subplot where, like, they're trying to like they want to quarantine, but the other people don't. And they just want to go back to shore. Like, it's kind of, right. this is this is touching. This is a little touching, close to home.
2: <laughs> like, yeah. Well, in and Deep way Star way. Six and Leviathan, both deal with that same concept too. You know, they're like, we can't take this thing back to the surface. We have to deal with it here.
4: Yeah. Yeah. The, um, and leviathan is kind of like a contagion. It's a mutagen type thing. So yeah. Yeah. The, uh um, but, but yeah, they're the,
2: like, the, we have to, you know, we're going to end it here. Like we're not going to spread this into humanity. So it's, it's really interesting.
4: But the uh, creature in sea fever is probably one of the most plausible things. Cause there's some really weird, big, um, inverts and they're really they're hard to document because a lot of them kind of turn to ooze. If you try to take them out of the water, um, so compared to, like, a fish that's got a skeleton and scales, they don't really hold up well. So I could see something like the thing in Sea
2: Fever. What's the big giant dinosaur that they introduced in Jurassic World, the big aquatic? Well, that one was, like, kind of a
4: made-up version. It was, like, a, a kaiju-fied um, version of a mosasaur. Oh, okay. Um, so mosasaurs are actually a lizard. Um, so oh, they're, wow. not, they're not a dinosaur. They're, they're close relatives probably to either monitor lizards or possibly to use snakes. Snakes are really just weird lizards. And so they never, they couldn't get that big. They could get pretty big. And, um, they were pretty successful. Um, um, they were fully aquatic. I believe they gave birth to live young, I think is what the evidence is. They didn't get, like I said, they didn't get that big, but they got, could get pretty fair side. And they were doing really well until that KT impact, um, happened. Um, which kind of ended the dinosaurs, that ended them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I should say that there were actually our worst crocodiles that re-entered the ocean um, after the um, extinction of the dinosaurs. So there was a period where you did get a lot of these sort of reptiles trying to kind of take back things. Um, mm-hmm. So there was a whole group of these early marine crocodiles um, in the very first half of the age of mammals, but kind of wanted to take over that spot um, until whales basically won that evolutionary conflict. Um,
1: <laughs> um, I love yeah. this. <laughs> Maybe starting a new phrase now, hung like a whale. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Flopping like a whale. When
1: you go through central South America, you get these sort
4: of animal monsters that are, um, these sort of like water panther type things. In fact, there is a Native American creature that's called the water panther. I've always wondered if that might be some sort of giant otter, either something related to the living giant otter that's in the Amazon. Those animals get pretty big. Um, they can take out caiman. I can easily see a giant otter basically like, you know, mauling a person. They're they're pretty big and burly yeah. animals. Uh, so I always wondered – there's a part of me that wonders, because we know a lot of these tropical things used to range further north. So maybe – you know, some of these legends have these sort of giant otter type things maybe are involved with them.
2: So uh, we talked about this on the Meg episode, but um, we kind of got side, I was listening back to that today to hopefully build on that conversation and not have you repeat everything you said in that episode. Um, I was asking you if that kind of underwater world that exists in that film where the Meg comes from could actually exist. And we ended up kind of talking about the books for a little while and about how ridiculous that world gets as the books continue, but we never really got into the plausibility of it. Like, is that, is there a chance that something like that, like a warm, pocket could exist with others with other species in it cuz that's another thing you see in these movies and in real life they keep finding caves with uh, endemic species in them right in, in in the real world is it possible that something like that could be underwater
4: so we get kind of like smaller examples of this um basically from two different things so we have the deep sea vents which you're probably familiar with um basically you have these they don't they're not usually permanent lasting but you get these sort of gushes of warm hydrothermal water coming out and you develop these ecosystems around there um, that get these strange like chemosynthetic, it's a whole ecosystem that's based on this entirely different way of life. Um, So this is sort of the stuff that like, um, this is the stuff they think might could potentially be a source of life on places like Europa and stuff uh, where they don't have sunlight. So um, you get these sort of these, little archipelagos of hydrothermal communities that can have lots of really weird things. Um, you also get uh, whale falls, which I don't think I mentioned before. Um, so basically if you get a big whale and it dies, it's eventually going to sink down the ocean. When it sinks in the ocean, eventually it's going to land and it's going to become just a giant all you can eat buffet for things. So you get this sort of these like little, ecosystems springing around using that gray whale, everything from that dead whale, everything from the bones, the blubber to everything. You get specialized worms and crabs and isopods and all these things. So you get some of these smaller level things. Um, um, I would never say never. I don't think you're going to get anything quite like some of the lost worlds they show um, in these different movies. Um, but I could see there being um, different um different sort of these weird environments that are gonna foster different animals. And especially, I think there are, I'm sure there's plenty of submarine canyons in poorly surveyed areas of the ocean that probably have entire ecosystems of unfamiliar life that we haven't really discovered. I don't think those ecosystems will contain giant sea scorpions or 50 foot sharks or at least 50 foot megalodon sharks, um, but they may include um, some very prehistoric animals. You know, I, li- I love deep star six, like, um, uh, cause I love the monster in that. I think it's an original monster. It's if you can, you know, as plausibility goes, it's fairly on the plausible end. I don't know. You get a Eurypterid, but there certainly are giant crustaceans down there. So a giant killer crustacean isn't that odd and it acts. You know, it doesn't, it's not a thing where it's like doing sort of weird infiltration. Like it gets accidentally brought inside at some point in the movie, and only then is it actually sort of picking off people. So it's basically really? like most of that movie is a disaster movie that just happens to be aggravated by having this monster. Um, so I think in some ways that is sort of kind of a more
2: plausible scenario. Um, what I about, just really quickly on that note, in that film, uh, they have this thing where basically these animals become aggressive due to the light uh, being in this area where probably there normally isn't light. Is that, is that based so, on reality?
4: Yes. And no. And so this is actually a great thing I wanted to bring up because it actually plays into something in underwater that I thought would be fun to mention. Um, so the deep sea is basically, as I mentioned earlier, it's basically a desert. And so all the animals that are specialized to live down there, and spend their lives down there, they are. They have to have adaptations to basically deal with the fact that they're not going to get food regularly. And so you get things like super slow metabolisms. Like, I'm not sure if you folks saw the news story. It was making this around like a week or two ago, but the there was a aquarium in Japan that was probably announcing that after two years, their giant isopod finally pooped. And <laughs> <laughs> the reason why is because, you know, if you have a super slow metabolism cause you don't know when you're going to find the next meal, you know, you might as well, you know, spend extra time getting the last bit of nutrients out of there and you know, you don't really need to go often. going um, so that's like <laughs> an, an example of an adaptation, but a lot of times, a lot of these deep sea predators, um, you may only, especially if you're a fish and you're swimming around, you might only occasionally like bump into food. And so if you bump into something, you want to be able to eat it. And so you get a lot of these fish that have these ridiculously sized mouths that they can just consume things that are far larger than them so that they can, you know, when they find that rare prey item, they can eat it. Um, Same thing, you get these groups of fish called swallowers, where they can actually basically eat a fish basically their same size and swallow it whole. And they can, their bodies can actually sort of like bulge out to support these and You know, hopefully not in spoiler territories, but, you know, that gets used in underwater, which was like one of my favorite things ever because I've never seen anyone play with that idea. Um, That's cool. You get get things like that. And you have a lot of animals that use light to attract prey. And so I don't think they so much is it's not so much that they're like ticked off about the light so much as they see light as potentially food. And so you have some fish that are putting out light to trick other fish into eating them or the trick other fish to come close and they're actually this big thing like an angler fish. So they eat the thing coming over. Then sometimes, you know, you go over there and the little thing with a little thing that's glowing is actually something small enough and you eat it. Um, you know, and you know, fish are very, fairly scarce down here, which is also why you get into breeding becomes difficult. And so, um, another really cool factor about some of these fish is that you have angler fish And the males are actually parasites on the females, um, not just sort of in the lazy boyfriend, like, you know, uh, um, metaphorical sense. But um, a male, you know, swimming around could take forever before he actually finds a female to mate with. So when he does find, he just kind of attaches himself to the female. And over time, he basically just sort of basically all of his face, everything that kind of makes him a distinct organism kind of just evaporates away until he's basically just sort of this little vestigial sperm sac hanging off this female anglerfish. And so these are all adaptations you kind of have to have when you're living in this super dangerous, dark, lightless desert where you can't see anything around you. You can't find your mates. You can't find food. You can't tell if something is going to eat you or you can eat it. So, um, and it's again, it's a shame that a lot of these movies haven't really got to use these much, but I did like The Underwater did actually play around with this. Um, so the, uh, going back to the original question, the light isn't so much, which I can forgive because these folks are probably, they're just sort of, it's not like the Eryptorate itself is saying, hey, I hate light. You know? you know, I would interpret it more as they're seeing the light and thinking dinner, and that's why they're attacking not so much the, oh, I don't like light, get away. Right. So, so it is true, but probably the Excel interpretation they use in there is probably not
2: true. So really briefly, before we move on to our underwater review, favorite and most realistic underwater uh, sea monster movies? Um, I really like
4: underwater. I think some of that may have been because I went into it with kind of low expectations because it had been delayed several years and yeah. Kristen Stewart and TJ Miller aren't exactly the casting that makes me very excited. Um, let's see. Uh, I have. I guess if I were to say favorite, this is probably. I don't know. This will maybe cause me to lose a lot of credibility. Um, may, I, I'm, may, maybe. I'm uh, maybe. Hopefully, I feel like Joel. Credibility as a horror fan or credibility as a satologist. <laughs> not as a satologist, more as a horror person. Um, I feel like Gilman might be able to back me up on this based on whole on some of his uh um so maybe he can chime in later um but um uh deep rising is one of my if i'm going to pick one like really
0: fun (laughs) treat williams baby heck yeah stephen summers that's a classic
4: i love that movie i think i had it i had it on vhs it was like one of like 10 VHSs i had it's famke jansen
0: right treat williams yeah that's great yeah
4: and, yeah, the monster, I love the... I know it's CGI, which I know I'm, like, the one person who doesn't... Like, CGI doesn't bother me as much. But the design of the tentacles... Like, the creature makes no plausible sense whatsoever in any way or, or matter. But it's cool-looking. I like the... It was. It's a novel environment. And even though, again, it's completely unplausible, you have these tentacles going through all the pipes and everything, it's still really cool, and it's got some really some nasty some of the half digested deaths and it's got humor. Like, it's, it's not, it's probably one of the, well, I watched the rift the other night. That's definitely not plausible. Um, But Correct. as far as like higher quality, it's definitely the least plausible, but the most fun. Um, but I'd say it's deep star six is like the ones I can think of is probably the closest to plausible. It uses a, a real animal, but animal isn't ridiculously sized. I mean, it's, it's bigger than a normal sea scorpion, but not like outside of like, you know, there's no, you know, the only thing I really don't like about deep star six is I think the, the cast is not as great. Um, I kind of wish there was an alternate universe where you could take the cast from Leviathan and put them in deep star six. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, Cause I think it would be actually a much better movie, but Um, So, yeah, I'll go with Deep Star 6 as being a movie I enjoy that feels more plausible. And I'm sure some deep sea people would probably yell at me. Uh, Again, I work on marine mammals. My critters don't go that far deep. Um, As far as favorite, that is completely impossible will go with Deep Rising.
2: I literally have been preparing for this episode since I woke up this morning and I – Completely spaced watching Underwater today, which was part of my plan. So that's Um, okay.
0: I've been trying. I've been trying to cover this movie for months, and Josh has refused to let me because he wanted to do this episode. So I I will happily read the IMDb synopsis to get us rolling.
2: I will not be speaking for the next however long. (laughs) No worries. You know, we talked a little bit about the legend of the actual monster, but this is something that is kind of ingrained in the community. It's a really small, sleepy little community. Again, like kind of half in idaho half in utah there's a city called garden city utah that's kind of down there and um it's just a small little town but they've got a bear lake monster parade and there's bear like monster murals and statues and it's just fun to add to that mythology that's been around since the 1800s you know i just it's it's just exciting it's great
3: and yeah. it's, you feel that vibe when you visit there and and it's it's just part of the culture
2: where are you kind of in your mind now as a filmmaker you've you've done a lot of documentary work we've worked on we both worked on a lot of other people's fictional films before we started directing ourselves like what are you kind of entering a new stage in your career in your mind
3: you know yeah absolutely like when you're when you're in your 20s and even maybe your early 30s you're you see stars and you kind of, your ambit, you have a ton of ambition, which is great because you need that to, um, to get through a lot of crazy production experiences. Um, but then <laughs> kind of, you know, you get a, you know, like you get a family and you get married and get a family and then reality kind of hits hits. And so then you have this kind of reality check and, you know, you, you got to provide for your family as a, is a a filmmaker which can be incredibly challenging so then i feel like i'm at the stage where i've kind of gone gone through those two stages and now i'm like you know what i just if i don't try i'm gonna regret not doing these projects that's where i got all my gray hair from Was that film
2: that darn film festival (laughs) (laughs) how many years were you there
3: uh i think it was either nine or 10, um, Oof, man. nine or 10. And uh, yeah. it's under new ownership now. And for a while I was like, you know, maybe I should have thrown my hat in the ring to try to, yeah. because it wasn't mine to begin with. I was just helping somebody else. And. Uh, but I, you I'm
2: really good. did so I much. It kind prepared. of was yours in a way.
3: Yeah. And everything in every sense of the word other than, ownership or no I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah like sweat I mean yeah let's, that was my sweat equity for sure you know as a young hungry filmmaker
2: yeah that's a really great film and, and we should mention so this is going to try to remain somewhat family friendly
3: yeah absolutely um if you've seen the remake of Pete's Dragon yeah it's just a really beautiful beautiful film And I I love watching films with my kids and my family. And so with that story being one that could really let their imaginations run, I just, I don't know, that one really uh, hit home for me. The thing about Bear Lake is it's such a destination for friends, families, that kind of thing, where you bring your kids up and you like to tell these stories about this monster to your kids. And and then they grow up, and then the, you know they want to tell their kids and bring their kids, and and you know through the generations. And so I really um, wanted to appeal to that audience, but also an, an idea that's been kind of floating around is that if if we can raise enough money um, to do an alternate version, that's not necessarily for the kids, that we can have a little bit have a little bit of fun with as well. Early on in this, I've really, in the development phase, have just been, it's just been me. And then I always knew I was gonna have to bring up yeah. some other producers to help pull this off. And, you know, every once in a while I'll run into somebody and they'll say, you know, I love Bear Lake. I love the monster. I go up every year. I wanna be, let me be a part of your project. And so early on I said, you know, th- those are the kind of people I want on this film cause they have that passion. Yeah. And so when you said the exact same thing, it's just a no brainer, like awesome. You know, we've already worked together on and done some fun stuff. And so, and I, and I had no idea that, that it was part of your history and part of the things that drive you too.
2: Same with me. I I was very surprised when I saw that that was your project because I think of you as kind of like a. Kind of like a big adventure movie guy, you know, like, like Lord of the Rings is one of your favorite mi- movies and stuff like that. Right. Uh-huh. So it's just kind of cool to mix the monster movie side with this kind of adventure movie side. And I think that could result in like a really exciting movie.